Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. It's 2019 and what do we do in this new glorious future year? We're going to look back 25 years to 1994, to the beginning of the career of a young man named Kevin Smith. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at his entire directorial catalogue, as well as a few other offshoots that he's been involved in, writing, producing, that sort of thing. So, before we get into this, I'll introduce myself. I'm Alan, hello. And here with me, as always, is Saul Harris. That's silent soul, of course. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't get get that, so. <laughs> just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm waiting till the end. I'm gonna say the the best line of the show. <laughs> say something really <laughs> profound at the end. Something that Kevin Smith thinks is very profound, but maybe isn't. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> be, if you can keep your mouth shut for the entire show, I'll be very impressed. <laughs> and also with us, joining us here for a second time, I believe, uh, it's Paul Breer. Oh, that makes me Jay. Uh, Snoogans? <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to be looking at the entire Kevin Smith catalogue. We're starting this week with his first five films as a director, which is going to take us from Clerks to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. It's kind of the the first act of his career in terms of that viewer-esque universe. Um, obviously, he has done stuff since then. Clerks 2 we'll be dealing with next week. Now... I'm I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith in in certain ways. Well, yeah, I mean you're you're the reason we're doing this. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> well, I'm going to clarify that. <laughs> I think I, not just that I'm a fan, but I think this is a very interesting career to look at. And I know you you follow his career as well because the way he's gone, we'll see this in a couple of weeks. But he's he's gone in an unusual direction now. I think I discovered him roughly around that age when I was getting into films, um, as I think a lot of you know, boys age probably about 15 or so uh, do. Mm-hmm. I My 15-year-old self, I think, was under the impression that he was a much, much more uh, talented, uh, perhaps intelligent man than, <laughs> than uh, maybe he mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. is. Yeah, yeah. And I'm now... Uh, over a decade older and have matured a lot and I am revisiting many of these films for the first time and uh yeah. well we're gonna see we're gonna see how they hold up aren't we <laughs> well I, I think I'm on a similar sort of thing to you yes having rewatched these films just in the last few days I've definitely matured past them now um, but not not to go into too much detail yet, but I definitely still find things that I like about them. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Kevin Smith is really profound to 17-year-olds. And that's yeah. not a bad if, thing. If you had spoken to... Yeah, if you'd spoken to 15-year-old me, I mean, I, I would have put him maybe only one notch below, you know, the, the real filmmakery people, like Tarantino and that lot. I mean, I you know, I definitely wasn't under the apprehension that he was a, a Tarantino figure, but... I, I thought of him as like a legitimate real filmmaker, whereas I think now I think of him more yeah. as, oh, he's made quite a good career selling stuff to stoners. Good on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my quick background, and I suspect Breer is going to be quite similar here because we we are same age. 
Dogma came out when I was about 15. Now, I didn't see it at the cinema, but when I was like 16, 17 and really starting to get into films, that was the first... Huh. I, I remember renting it from the video store. Um, and that was the first Kevin Smith film I saw. I loved it. That was my first exposure. I, I had a... Um... Uh, a media studies teacher at school put it on for uh, uh, the class at the end of the year because <laughs> uh, he obviously he, he felt it was the most appropriate Kevin Smith film, obviously a fan of himself. I, I think he said something to the effect of his first film was the best one and it's all been downhill from there, but you might enjoy this. That that teacher later turned out to be a paedophile, just unrelated uh, <laughs> trivia for you. I don't think I really liked it all that much. What I, something about it obviously got my attention enough to to look into his mm. other films, but yeah. I mean, I think for me, I think it might have been Al that actually introduced me either to Dogma or certainly to Kevin Smith. Because um, when you were getting into film, I suppose I was watching a lot of films as well. We watched a lot of films together back then. Um, so yeah, Dogma was probably my first taste as well. And then like you kind of thought, this is good, I'll watch it. I do rest. think it, it was one of those films that I watched and was like, oh, I want to share this with other people. It was it was like for a time it was right up there with my it favorite was films. Number one of on your list, I remember oh, wow. it on your wardrobe. Um I also distinctly remember there was a brief period where I had ITV Digital uh, when Digital Boxes first came out, before ITV Digital went up the spout after about two years. On the back of that, I had Film 4. And this was really when I was getting into films. And I would like, when back then, you got a little booklet, which was just Film 4, and I had all their listings. And I meticulously went through it, and I was, I was discovering things. This was a real big part of my discovery of film. I know they, they did a double bill one night of Clerks and Chasing Amy. I recognized the name from Dogma. I thought, right, I'm on that. And I watched those two films and that was me in. Right, I was sold on Kevin Smith there. The good thing about Kevin Smith is that he is extremely vocal and extremely mm. public about mm-hmm. his life and his opinions. And so because I'm interested in him, I've listened to a lot of stuff about him and I know a lot about his thing. And so yeah, there's I a mean, real that... peek behind the curtain here. As in the curtain's been ripped off the rails and thrown <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> I think that's what put me off him, honestly. I, I used to... well, de- well, yeah, we'll get, we'll come on to that, but yeah, I definitely, um, I, I agree with what you said earlier that you kind of start to realise that he's not as clever as you sort of <laughs> imagine he is at first. Yeah, <laughs> he he's great at writing like emotional stories and characters. He's 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 great at writing what he knows, which is like falling hopelessly in love with someone and then breaking up with someone and dealing with that. Like he knows how to deal with all that. Being extremely insecure about women. Oh fuck yeah! About everything. Extremely insecure about everything that he could be. Yeah, there's a beat in every single one of these films. I think where the the protagonist finds out how many people. Like a woman they're interested in has had sex with. <laughs> <laughs> well, chasing Amy is entirely about that. Like that was literally his inspiration for writing it. It was he had a girlfriend who was more sexually experienced than him, and it made him feel insecure. <laughs> so we we're looking at Kevin Smith as a as a writer director here, but let's face it, he's a writer. The directing oh, God, is yeah, yeah. At, at best pedestrian. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot to say about that. Again, I. I what I used to say about him was that, yeah, he's a great writer and the direction's just kind of functional just to get it made. Uh, mm-hmm. Rewatching the films, I, I think that's very generous. I, I don't know. I think he's <laughs> actually 
I'm going to be making an argument that he's quite a poor director uh, as we <laughs> as we go along. I mean, if you listen to any of the any of the commentaries on any of the films, basically Ben Affleck particularly <laughs> rips into him quite regularly for just how shitty is it directing. Well, <laughs> the yeah, fact yeah. he's got no vision, everything is essentially just a camera in front of two people speaking. I think. I think Kevin Smith's quite open about it as well, to be honest. Well, if we if we go back to the start here, let's uh, Kevin Smith. Um, he's he he was he went to like he he'd finished high school and all that. He wasn't quite figured out uh, what he was doing with his life. He ended up going to film school. He went to a film school in Canada, where he met amongst other people Scott Mosier, who has then become his producing partner. Now he dropped out of this film school after like one semester because he was like, "Oh, it's just like film theory. I just want to film stuff, man." So he decided it was not practical enough for him. I think. I think he wanted to just learn how to think. But but basically, he and bear in mind this is in America. It's actually Canada, but he was American. So he was paying for this quite a lot of money, and he decided I'd rather take this money and just make a film. It's a ballsy move. Uh, it's a naive move. But it's one that very much paid off. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, this is... I, I think I've had this discussion with you before, Alan, because I, I remember listening to him getting very sort of self-righteous about how he went out and did it for himself and how everyone should go out and do it. And it's like, no, you did something profoundly stupid. And, and irresponsible. And <laughs> you got lucky. And there's probably lucky. A, there's so many people who do the exact same thing, and it doesn't pay off, even though they might make a better film. Like it happens. Little Phil Clerks isn't, you know, it's not the highest bar in the world. And yeah, he just got incredibly, incredibly lucky because he he one of the things he did was he took out every single credit card he could possibly get in his name uh, and yeah. maxed them all out. So. Yeah. Had this incredibly ballsy move not paid off, he he would be putting himself into insane debt. insane and, debt for life. He, he took like, on a lot more debt than he really could have. He, yeah. he, he because he worked at this video store, so he claimed he was the manager of the video store. And when the banks rang up, he would say, "Oh yeah, I'm the owner, Kevin Smith. Yeah, he's the manager. He earns like seventy grand a year. Yeah, he's really well paid." Yeah. And so they gave him loads of credit. <laughs> so he just lied about how much he earned. Um, so he managed to get much more credit than really his financials would have allowed. And I, I think there's a tendency when the story's recounted to just think, I think a lot of people read it as, oh, what a savvy guy, what a smart man. And it's like, the <laughs> no, more no. I, the more you get to know about him, it's like, no, no, he was really fucking stupid. He's just very <laughs> lucky. And yeah, fair enough, there is definitely talent there. His timing was just right as well, wasn't it? It was just that yeah, oh, era absolutely. where he was—you could take a camera and you could film something. Like two few years before, you couldn't do that, and a few years later, everyone was doing it. He was just kind of just good enough at just the right time for it to just work out. It was, yeah, exactly. It was the perfect time. Kevin Smith dropped out of film school. Uh, Scott Mosier decided to finish uh, film school because you know he was learning something. <laughs> Uh, and so Kevin Smith went away and wrote a script and Scott Mosier said, oh, you finish your script and I'll produce it for you. You can direct it, I'll produce it. David Klein, who was another person they met at their, at their school, he was the cinematographer. And that's how Clerks came about. Kevin Smith managed to raise about $27,000 along with his savings and credit card fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Sold all his comics as well, didn't he? Something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, he sold his comic book collection, which was obviously like his prized possession, but also the only thing he had that was worth anything. Um, so he like really like he put everything into this, um, and like you say, Sol, a, a stupid thing to do, really. Uh, why didn't his parents stop him? Why didn't anybody stop him doing this? <laughs> like, there was no, there was not point not not one percent chance he would ever make that money back, uh, and he did. <laughs> But I guess the I guess the idea what they were trying to do was make something that would get them noticed, and then get them some money to make another film. Which that's generally why people make these little low budget films. No one would expect the film itself to do well and make money. So Kevin Smith is twenty three, twenty four, something like that. He's working in a convenience store, local store, and so he writes a script about a 23-year-old who works in a convenience store who's dissatisfied with his life. Um, It's about falling in love and being insecure about your girlfriend. (laughs) And then you've got... I don't know if there's any falling in love. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that either, to be honest. It's about about being in a relationship that's perhaps going a bit stale and whether or not it's worth maintaining it. Well, this is another recurring theme of Kevin Smith's work. The concept of, of love with anybody you can get it with (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that nails it if you get someone in nail them down just nail that shit down (laughs) there's yeah yeah there's a there's a recurring theme in kevin smith's films where he likes to kind of do the um the sort of tim burton thing put his his lover at the time in the film and just kind of but then he always has this thing of, you know, really... At least Tim Burton had the dignity to go out with actresses, though. <laughs> <laughs> Clerks. Or Clarks, as it is occasionally known in the UK. So the central story in Clerks is Dante, who, as we say, is this sort of frustrated young man working in a convenience store. He has love issues. He's sort of going out with one girl, pining for his ex. That's the through story, really. And then it's surrounded with what is essentially sketches. Mm. Um, it's very sketchy, but it holds together. It doesn't It doesn't feel too disjointed to say how much it is. <laughs> I, I, I should add, Clerks is very much the... Um, I think I would have said it was my favourite Kevin Smith film for a while. We'll, we'll see how that, pan, uh, mm-hmm. how that goes as we yeah. get into these. But um, it's, it's the one I bought on... DVD. I, I got the Clerks 10th anniversary uh, special oh, edition yeah. DVD set, and it's it's the one I've returned to the most by a mile out of all of his films. Most of his other films, I think I've watched once, and I'm coming back to them now for the first time. Mm. So, well, you know what my my first note here is? Go on. I wrote. I started watching it, and it just hit me. This movie is peak Alan. it's never struck me until now this is the most alan film ever made barely any plot barely anything actually happens just people talking in black and white for no reason (laughs) well there is is budgetary reasons isn't it yeah yeah the film's in black and white badly acted no my first note (laughs) is actually the dubbing (laughs) oh god the dubbing (laughs) oh (laughs) Well, that is because they didn't really know what they were doing. Oh yeah, yeah. so like they recorded the sound badly. <laughs> they, they, sh- they they filmed it in a store, but they had to film it at night. That's why they shut us down, isn't it? Cleverly, 
Yeah, he comes up with quite a nice little yeah, idea to the, the shutters are down. It's yeah, beautiful. it's great. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, my first note was this opening montage. We start with Dante getting a call to say he needs to come into work, even though he thought he had the day off. You have this opening montage of him sort of getting to the store, opening up, doing the papers, blah, blah, blah. It's actually quite long, but I think it works really nicely. It sort of sets up this humdrum, monotonous life. Yeah. Without being boring. There's a couple of little gags in there just yeah, to keep yeah, you yeah. going. And I think that's really nice. I think it just sets up the film beautifully. Yeah. Now that is good direction. That's not writing, is it? That's a nice little bit of, yeah. you know, filmmaking, editing or whatever. But that's just a nice little touch. Yeah, I mean, and, I, I, another thing, and I guess this kind of ties back into the black and white stuff again, but weirdly, out of the first bunch of films we've looked at uh, for this episode, I think this is by far the best shot of all of his films, uh, cinematography-wise. I, I, I'll, Again, I'll kind of elaborate on it as it goes, but I, I think there are some actually quite nice shots in this film. There's some nice bits of framing. It feels like the, uh, what's he called, the cinematographer? David, David Klein. Klein. It, yeah, it feels like um, David Klein's, you know, really kind of put some effort in and, and really tried to just frame up a nice shot here and a nice shot there. Well, and a, a lot of it's very functional, but... Well, yeah, well, what I, what I really picked up on, which I've never noticed before, and it, it's for, it, this goes for the first three films, uh, which David Klein was DOP on, a lot of wide shots, just really long takes of wide shots, not going into close-ups very often, and that's that could be a budgetary thing because it's like, hey, oh, let's yeah, just I, shoot this yeah. as simply as possible. I think, but absolutely, with having clerks, yeah. having done that, having done that, they make it work, and it I, it does give the film a different feel to most things. I think it works really well in Clerks. So I'm not so sure about <laughs> the subsequent films, but yeah, yeah, well, definitely in Clerks, it because it does feel like it feels like you're watching a play sometimes. This is mm. long sort of dialogue b- between the characters. And it, the the acting feels more like you're watching a play. It's a little bit because Amdram. it's not yeah. <laughs> because it's a little bit more amateur acting. It's not this kind of film acting. It, it, yeah, it really and be, the, but those long takes, those just wide shots, really help that. Yeah, the the acting in this film. I mean, to say it's basically just friends, it's just and his mates, isn't it? Really? Relatives it's, being pulled in. Yeah. yeah, like it could be worse, but there's not a single person in this film who gives a great performance uh, uh, I and, and I, I think a lot of i think a lot of the dialogue is sort of painfully written as well just overly written so clearly yeah. like it, it, so it's a it's a really awkward mixture of people who aren't the best yeah. actors not being able to make dialogue that doesn't sound very natural um <laughs> natural i yeah it, it's very i don't know i, I, I don't it, it, think dante is Good, I, but I don't think Randall's too bad. <laughs> I, I think Randall yeah. is by far the best yeah, uh, he's, he's, performance he's, in the film. Yeah. He's an yeah. okay actor, I suppose, or he's certainly okay in that role. Um, it's not like I've seen him in an awful lot else. But. Well, the, the, the main the main actors, the main sort of primary characters, were kind of cast from like local amateur dramatics groups and that sort of thing. So he went to find people who were actors, but they weren't being paid anything like that. So it's like. You know that's what he could get, and then anything anyone who only has like one or two lines, that's one of his friends, and that's fine. But yeah, Brian O'Halloran plays Dante Hicks, not he's, great. No, he's not. He, he's, he's, he's not. He's not. He's passable In, within yeah, the context exactly. of this film. It's fine. He gets away with it. Yeah, and he really he does encapsulate that character very nicely. I'll give him that. Jeff Anderson, who plays Randall Graves, 
he's he's got a certain charm to he's him. He's just yeah, he's got a certain something, and it's encapsulated perfectly in that character. It's like the character's been written for him. Some of these guys pop up in subsequent Kevin Smith films, yeah. and I think he, oh, yeah, yeah. he he is the one person who pops up in subsequent films and actually holds his own against yeah. real actors. Um, most of the others, it's sort of like, ooh, that's that's not an actor. <laughs> but the 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 role of Randall was Kevin Smith wrote for himself. Yeah, you couldn't which do is it, why he gets he? all the best lines. And then he, I think he decided like, oh, I don't, I can't do such a big part and direct as well. Well, apparently they were I'll filming take a little it part for like four or five hours. Like obviously, like you said, at night, and basically he was working yeah. at the shop through the day. <laughs> so he just he and basically didn't sleep room. for. A month while they filmed it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that was why that guy has the best lines. Uh, he's the funny one because that's what Kevin Smith has. That's what Kevin Smith is secure about in his life is that he's the funny one, and that's all he's ever had in terms of his belief. Um, so, yeah, writing Dante as this character that is obviously him <laughs> and all his fears and anxieties, and then and then writing this other character that is kind of his confidence. And his, uh, his kind of fuck you attitude, which is the sort of person who would chuck all their money into making a film. Right. And and he does have this sort of confidence in himself. Uh, so, yeah, that's, I, that's why I really like this dynamic between the two of them. I think that's possibly why Kevin Smith has come back to them uh, on a couple of occasions. But, I I mean, I really like their dynamic, the, the, the two of them. I think Jeff Anderson's great. I think the one who plays Veronica is one of the better ones. Um, but I think everyone other than those just named is pretty pretty poor, actually. Um, in- including including Jay and Silent Bob, who who um, yeah. pop up again later. And I don't think there's any hell acting on better on Jay's than... part. <laughs> well, that's it. Jay, Jay is like a just point the camera at him yeah. and let him do what he does. And <laughs> well, this is this is what I was going to say actually because. You've got to appreciate this is Kevin Smith's first film as well as a director. I don't think he's getting the best out of these people as a director. Yeah, and definitely. I don't think he. And I think you can see these same actors get better later on. Oh yeah. Um, and that's you definitely can, probably yeah. more to do with Kevin Smith giving them better something better to go on. I can I can very much believe, and judging on stuff that Bruce Willis has said, that Kevin Smith. Is very much a kind of let the actor just get on with it themselves kind of person, and then like and then like go, oh, this is what I wanted when I wrote it, and then like hope that they do it. Well, I want I want to just voice my major complaint about the film, and it's uh, it, <laughs> Kevin Smith writes very good dialogue, and he writes these very witty characters, but particularly in this film. Every character is the same. They have the same voice. They make the same witty comments. They have the same type of voice, you know? Yeah. Particularly noticeable when it's a, a cigarette gum, tobacco gum salesman or just like a bit part character who pops into the shop for one scene and he's talking in the exact same way as these other... Because you can kind of buy, well, these people All are these friends yeah. and they hang out together. together and... Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just like not everyone is the witty one, you know. You can, you just need like one character who's that quick talking, like witty guy, or maybe two of them are friends and they can bat off each other. But just everyone speaks with this Kevin Smith's voice, you know, or the the voice that Kevin Smith yeah. would talk with if he could write everything down before he said it. Um, 
and that's a that's a naive writing. That's kind of inexperienced writing. We've all done that. Isn't Silent Bob jarringly skinny in this film as well? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of jokes about him being fat, and he's just not. Yeah, at all. it's almost like he grew into the role. <laughs> yeah, it's really odd. I, I, in my memory, he was always fat. But yeah, in, in my not... yeah, in this film, I'm Randall's also in my mind. Randall's fat. <laughs> no, sorry, Dante. <laughs> Dante's fat. Um, oh well, da- Dante's got a very later. <laughs> Dante's got a very sort of chubby, round face. Yeah, but, really. But, the whole it, scene with the trainer—it it looks like his yeah. It looks like his neck on his shirt's too tight, and his head's kind of <laughs> bursting out of it. Uh, so, Alan, I've got a question. Yeah. Have you ever tried to suck your own dick? <laughs> <laughs> terrible time to take a drink. <laughs> Uh, yeah, of course. Everyone has. Cool. So you're you're not at all repressed. Good, good. <laughs> uh, almost broke my back. It's that sort of thing that Kevin Smith makes it okay to talk about. Yeah. Did, did you did you reach at all? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Successfully or like just a tip? I tell you, no. When I was younger, yeah. My problem is now that I'm too kind of I'm not flexible enough. I'm a bit too chubby uh, <laughs> to do it anymore. But when I was a young, lithe man, and yeah, it's, it's all right. That's weird. I, that, that is weird. Yeah. yeah, my dog does that. I'm never going to look at that again in the same <laughs> way. <laughs> Just imagine at all. It's be like a cartoon, and Alan's head like <laughs> appears on the dog. It's one of those things that it's like. Yeah, you kind of manage it, but it's too awkward to really get anything out of it. It's Can't too enjoy sort of it. physically uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not something you really do. It's just sort of, like, oh, I wonder. Yeah, I can do that. One of my one of my complaints with this film is, and and bear in mind, I don't think Jay and Silent Bob are nearly as uh, well defined here as they become. Mm-hmm. I think Jay and Randall are like far too similar in this film to justify being two separate characters. There, there's no real. They both just feel like these anarchic figures floating around, yeah, doing spouting like funny lines, and they they become very different as you know the films progress and what have you. But yeah, should we talk about Jason Mewes quickly? Mm. Um, so Jason Mewes is a he's a little bit younger than Kevin Smith and his friends. He's, he was a friend of his, but he was like this young kid who was like he's a he's like from a really dodgy home, like his mum was a crackhead and all this sort of thing. So the he Kevin Smith met Jason Mewes because Kevin Smith worked at like a you know a down and out kind of youth shelter thing where they they took young kids like and kept them busy through the day you know so they weren't just out on the streets uh, and Kevin Smith was like a worker there on the basis that he was like five years older and therefore responsible and just found him this kid to be a really interesting and funny character because the Jay of Jay and Silent Bob is basically Jason Mewes. That's just what he was like. And he just go around talking about sucking cocks all the time and how everyone's gay and he's not gay and he loves the clip. But in, in Clerks, uh, Jay, I mean, he's, he's weak <laughs> and not, not even like that funny. Mm. Uh, it's just, yeah, like Sol says, it's, it's just it's a sort of anarchic element that just drops in every now and then. I, I think it's because, like I say, Clerks is the film that I kind of judge Kevin Smith based on. It's the one I'm most familiar with, like, significantly so. Um, so I think I think of Jay and Silent Bob in Clerks, and they're just not that good in this one compared to later films, so that's probably what it comes down to. Um, just to address a couple of elements of the plot of Clerks before we move on, 
Because I think it's important because we're going to sort of, like we say, find some recurring themes here. Dante has a girlfriend that he's not that bothered about, but he's settled and it's easy and it's convenient and she brings him food, um, which in Kevin Smith's <laughs> mind is, is a, yes. you know, all you need. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a million fine looking women in the world, Alan, and most of them don't bring you lasagna at work. So They'll just cheat most, on you. Exactly. Most of them just cheat on you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's aged well, that, hasn't it? That. <laughs> This film, certainly watching it again now, it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a bit. And I, I think ultimately the message of this film is to settle. And I don't like that. Oh, yeah. And that well, really rubs me the wrong way. It's like, no, fuck notions of love and romance. Settle. Settle for safety. Settle for familiarity. Certainly on the romantic side. But but like we've said, you know, he's, he's got these two characters which are basically him arguing with himself yeah the one side and, of him and very cleverly self. very cleverly kevin smith cast two women who look almost exactly the same yeah. i can't <laughs> tell help. apart but like <laughs> he's saying settle for love which is the place where he's not confident but also every character in this is pushing the main character to go back to school to learn something and we're never you know it, we never does but obviously it's only a day-long film but everyone's pushing him to do more with his life just not in love i think if kevin smith does something very well and we're going to see this in the later films as well it's that he'll create a balanced argument. What I think yeah. it might be, what I think it might be, is fence sitting rather than a deliberate kind of, um, uh, you know, debate on the yeah. issues. I think it's more just he can't quite decide himself what he wants, and so that's what he writes about. We see it in Dogma when it's about religion. We see it in the Clerks about love. We see it in Chasing Amy about relationships and all that sort of thing. And we see it in Jane Silent Bob about about beating up people who slag you off on the internet. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's what I think that's actually what he does well is that he yeah, doesn't that's, really provide any answers. Yeah, he very kind of true. just throws the questions at you and does show both sides. We've got Randall there saying, Look, yeah, you're a fuck up, I'm a fuck up too. What what the hell? Like just enjoy it. Whereas Dante wants something more but won't push for it be it his career, be it his love, be it whatever. Whereas Randall kind of understands what he is and has accepted it. That doesn't mean he's happy with it necessarily. Jay, Jay and Silent Bob don't know what they are until they're happy with what it is. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so yeah, I think actually that's what Kevin Smith is very good at. I don't know how deliberate that is if it's just his natural tendency to not want to make a decision or not want to create a, a full argument and or fall on one side. Yeah. But whatever, it works. It, it, and uh, so I think that's yeah. what we see in Clerks. I think we, we do see... Because we never quite get a resolution of what Dante's going to do with these, between these two women because he has one that, you know, is prepared to give up a lot for him, the one he should settle with, even though he obviously doesn't want to. The one he really loves, which is obviously not going to work out because she's not ready for it. But then she's saying, oh, maybe I'm ready for it now. And ultimately, he decides to go back to this other girl and the circumstances take her away. And so he's then he's like, oh, well, I've still got this other girl, haven't I? It, like, Dante does not come out of this as a, <laughs> a good person. No, not at all. Not, someone yeah. who's made a decision. He hasn't really changed much over the course of this day. <laughs> like, he's still indecisive. I think that's part of what rubs me slightly the wrong way. Is I, yeah. I think you're meant to be on his side the whole way through. And I, I think when when his girlfriend's, like, smacking him across the head and saying, what the fuck do you think you're doing trying it on with this other woman? You're meant to kind of think, oh, for God's sake, leave him alone. He changed his mind. And it's like, no, he's, yeah. he's, 
behaved like a little piece of shit. Like, yeah, he's not he's just well within a right. And he, and he didn't change his mind. Circumstances took the option away from him. She's well within like her right to be furious with him. And like the film should end with him losing both women for being a piece of shit. But yeah. um, and you know, and I, I think he gets his just desserts insofar as. Ten years down the line, he's still working practically the same job and hasn't made anything out of his life. But <laughs> stuck with a harridan of a wife. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the same problems. Um, Overall, I think all the individual scenes that make up Clerks are good and 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 entertaining, but it does start to drag near the end. The, the arc isn't quite enough to prevent that, but to say where it came from. And the the very modest um, tools they were working with, I, I think it is quite a, a, a remarkable uh, debut film, um, yep. certainly amongst its peers. So, you know, I think it's remembered for a reason. And uh, might as well go into a rating from there. I give this one mm-hmm. an 8 out of 10, which might be surprising because I feel like I've been quite negative about it. <laughs> that's uh, largely just trying to address the balance of it, I think. Yeah. Well, I th- yeah, I feel... I'm just going to echo what you just said there. Um, I gave it a 9 out of 10. Oof. I'm sure this has been a 10 out of 10 in my history, but uh, it's a 9 out of 10 for me. I think it's been a 9 out of 10 in my history, and I've bumped it down, yeah. I think, for me, just... You two both kind of look at films slightly differently to me, certainly from a filmmaker's perspective. I sort of feel like you're maybe forgiving it a little bit just for knowing oh, abs- the fact absolutely, that it's, yeah, yeah, which is I, fine. I am, yeah. Whereas I don't have that. I still think it's a good film. I think it stands up, but it's it's a seven. I would say it's a, a yeah. middle in seven to me because I don't look at it the same way as you two do. I think that's very fair. I, I think yeah, I I think I am absolutely giving it a bonus point for coming from such modest um, such a modest place and its impact on cinema and blah 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 blah. But yeah, I, th- I think that's very fair. The short version of the story of the next step of Kevin Smith's career is that he got discovered, Clerks got discovered by Miramax, who, who were on a trail at the time to be pumping out these little indie films and really pushing them. Um, and, you know, we do have the Weinsteins to thank for Kevin Smith's career. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not allowed to like them anymore, but that's, well, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein anyway. I don't but think anyone really liked them in the first place. They were always sort of... As a person, no. <laughs> but they have done a lot for the film industry, particularly little indies in the 90s. So, they, what Clerks was intended to do, get you noticed, it certainly did, and they were given a budget to make another film. Quite a large budget. Um, yeah, well, they were given $6 million, and which even they thought was too much. Well, yeah, <laughs> because, Kevin Smith's quite wide about saying, like, we don't need this much money, please don't give us this much money. Yeah, because he quite rightly realised... And this is something he'd come back to in his career and, in fact, run away from in his career. The more money you've got, the more responsibility you've got, the more people you've got looking over your shoulder, telling you what to do, making sure you're not doing anything that could possibly go wrong. Uh, and I think that's a lesson he learned on Rats and never forgot. Mm. Um, until Cop Out. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> and 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 as we'll get to in a couple of weeks, that's where his career is at the moment. We'll, we'll come back to that. But Mole Rats, they want. They said, "Okay, look, you've got your finger on the pulse of of the teenage comedy market. Right, as a teen comedy, we can be R rated. We can put fucks in there and all sorts of stuff. Can have some titties in there, uh, and we'll sell it to the stoner teenage crowd. And I mean, that's exactly what they did, really." It's it a didn't do that well. <laughs> it's a very interesting 
sophomore project, really, to say he was he was in a position where he could probably do not anything, but he could probably have done something a lot more ambitious than this, which just feels it's like a sitcom episode. It's it's not it's not a bad film, but it's very unambitious. Um, I mean, it's there's it's essentially clerks in a mall. I think Kevin Smith has said that. You know, it's not it's not that mm. far removed from the same. You've said it already. You know, there's repeated themes throughout all these films. Mm. But you know, it's it's about two males. One who is, you know, very much oh, do this, do this. It doesn't matter. The other one who's very much worried about everything. Who are discussing girls and about a breakup slash not breakup. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, they've just gone to the mall and and done clerks with more money um, with this weird I mean, theme behind I, it. I don't think that's a bad idea necessarily. Like here's okay, this was nice. Let's do it properly and make a real film with some real money. Oh, it worked for Sam Raimi. Um, and yeah, and. Uh, and, you know, put a bit more action into the story and all this. I, I think it's a great concept. Um, and just to, I mean, not to give too much away straight away, but for all its faults, I find Morats very funny. I, and I was laughing a lot at it. I like Morats. Um, yeah, that <laughs> feels like I'm getting being hard on it when I start. But, you know, I like Clerks and it wasn't made as well as I would like it to be from a just a viewer perspective. I think Morats is obviously put together as a film a little bit better, and is essentially I, a similar thing. It's I don't know if it is. That's I, that was one of my big issues with it. <laughs> yeah, rewatching I it, if, I, yeah. I I was surprised. I was really, I, I think my younger self just thought, oh, the camera's like not wobbling. Uh, it's color. It's in color. Yeah, therefore it's better. But, I, but now, but I suppose from my point of view, you know, that, <laughs> they're the kind of things that I'm looking at, and as a, a general viewer, well, not everything's like better my, by any stretch, but. One of my first notes is maybe Clerks wasn't full of bad acting because of the lack of budget. Maybe Kevin Smith just can't direct actors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, this is yeah. Can we let's yeah? Oh, because the acting in this film is shocking. It is bad. <laughs> there are some good actors in this film who are not good. Like I love Michael. Rooker. Is that what is he called? Michael Rooker. What's his name? Michael Rooker. Yeah. Yeah. Rooker, Mi- yeah. Michael Rooker. I normally love. He is. What is he doing in this awesome. film? Well, actually, I think it's a really good example because Michael Rooker is. A, you can tell that that is a good actor, not quite knowing what they're doing, as opposed to say Claire Forlani, who's just shit. <laughs> 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 and I have seen her in other things, and she's not been that bad. But she's never. I've never seen her be good. Jeremy London is just totally the most average actor, and he's shit in this. Jason Lee is normally. I normally quite like him. I think he's normally very capable of of doing this kind of role. Even here, I think he's kind of shit. And I don't know if that this well, is this may be because his was this like his first acting gig. Yeah, Maybe there's an element yeah, of yeah. lack of confidence well, about uh, what he's doing. But I don't know about that. I, I might I might disagree with you there. I'm not saying it's good acting necessarily, but I think this film, this whole film, sits on the shoulders of Jason Lee. He's the thing holding this film up because. Okay, he might not be the best actor, but he fits that character perfectly in the same yeah. way. But, but like, I mean, not uh, to Randall get... in Clerks. I think it's he's perfect for that role, yeah. and he crystallizes this film. And I, I think it's it's a shame. I, I think he gives quite a bad performance within the con. Like he gets away with it because he's likable and well cast. But like compare well, the performance he's... he gives here to without wanting to give too much away. Compare his performance here to Chasing Amy. It's worlds apart. 
it, it, I don't know if it's worlds apart. I think it's pretty. I think it is exactly the same character. No, I think. <laughs> but I think no, but I think his slightly more cartoonish caricature acting works in the concept context of Morrats. It's a cartoony film. I, like another another thing, Ben Affleck. I've sort of been led to believe he's a good actor because because um, <laughs> of all his that. recent deci- Well, not recent, but a lot of his more recent decisions. But this reminded me, oh yeah, he was kind of a joke and everyone thought of him as a dreadful, shitty actor when he was younger. And... <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No, I didn't. No, that's not my memory yes, he of did, either. Ben Affleck. Yeah, I think maybe when you were Everyone... younger, when he was going through that mid-stage of like Gigli and all that yeah, crap. Pearl Harbor but and all that when shit. When we were younger, it was he was sort of like, you know, doing goodwill hunting and dogma, so we yeah. were seeing the sort of better side of it. Well, we'll get to dogma in a well, minute, but I, I think he's again. It's he's cartoonish and he's dreadful in this film. There, there's a scene. Well, I think that's. I think the this film is cartoonish. I think I don't think it's deliberately directed to do that, but I think that's what Kevin Smith had in his mind, so that's what he got. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's just the nature of the film. It's a silly sort of. Yeah, and, it's a very well, yeah, colorful I mean, cartoony. It's film. a Looney Tunes cartoon. I mean, they literally draw, draw bl- blueprints and set up. Trapped. Yeah, on that note, I hate Jay and Silent Bob in this film. I cannot oh, stand what? them. I think they are shit, and this is part of why. Oh god, it just, their subplot is just irrelevant. There's no. It's just like, oh, let's just pop them in for the sake of it, get a few laughs, and they do that really fucking sh- shit thing that I cannot stand. Where and the Looney Tunes did it a lot. They'll go through a series of plans to do something. And something weird will happen that makes them all fail. And they never think, oh, let's just try the same plan again and not fuck it up this time, because that was going to (laughs) work. They think, no, let's try a brand new, completely different plan every single time. It really aggravates me. (laughs) I mean, plans are also a little bit far-fledged. Just hit him with a sock full of coins. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's the whole point, isn't it? It's like you say, it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah, I think obviously, if you, you've got to just go with that, and mm. the fact that what, what I will say about the script is that everything kind of ties in, everything comes back. I don't think it is pointless because you know they're integral to how the plot is resolved um, well, and getting all that together. I mean, plot and, is being a bit generous, <laughs> honestly. It's, it's... Well, no, is the, the plot is there? Whether it's you know they're it's, integral it's, to like having a yeah grabbing a cassette a video tape behind the scenes and putting it in a pl- like, I don't know it feels very much like how shit how can we write them into everything else happening but that's fine there's some comic characters that you want to mm. write into this film I I it, love it's just shit Kevin like Jane Silent Bob in this <laughs> really <laughs> well you love Silent Bob I like, I like putting Jay. coins in a sock <laughs> and then running across the mall swinging his arms around I mean, and then a child throws a train and the train goes <laughs> like along the floor and then he goes flying across <laughs> yeah. the floor on the I, I, well, yeah I think, I I do, think if you Watch this film as if it's a cartoon and it all works. It's well, fine. no, because it wouldn't be a very good cartoon. Yeah, that, I disagree I, with I, that. I, I love it's... old Looney Tunes cartoons <laughs> yeah, because they're actually all like that. Fantastic. It'd be fine. It's just that it's, but it's this whole kind of it's the main character and 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 Brandy who's <laughs> yeah, oh, awful. Yeah, the, the yeah the, the main problem with this is the main character is yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, the main plot is the issue. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a mixture of that and then Jason Lee 
sticking his hand down his ass and wiping it all over pretzels, and then Michael Rooker yeah. gurning and. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard Alan laugh with such glee on this show. We've tapped into it. It really was. Rewatching it, I haven't watched this for years. Rewatching it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the shit one. I I really laughed a lot watching this film. I I enjoyed it a lot. And I can see a lot. God, some of the acting is dreadful, but. (laughs) And, And again, all the characters speak with the same voice. Yeah, I've made a note about the... I, my note here is just that it, the dialogue's funnier and more polished here, but it's no, it's never hilarious, and I personally much prefer the kind of raw, more realistic way that it kind of felt in Clerks. Like, this just feels a bit more glossy, but I think that takes away from it, if anything. It's just you're less forgiving of it as a result, and therefore it does, it doesn't... It does feel like it's written. Rather yeah. than, like you say, that natural feel to it. Every character is able to just pull these big words out that realistically we all know when we use them, but we generally write them down rather than just using mm. them in general conversation. And yeah, it does feel mm. a little bit overwritten, I suppose. Overwritten is, yeah, it's a good word. Very, lots of syllables. You know that scene where Ben Affleck grabs uh, uh, the guy and like pulls him out into a, an alleyway and starts like punching him? Oh, into the, the yeah. back, yeah. Wasn't that just like watching Batman in Batman v Superman? (laughs) (laughs) Just just an angry, angry man beating the shit out of a guy on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently they cut that. It was like twice as long as they could hit him loads and loads more than that. And they cut it down because they thought, actually, this is is supposed to be like a comedy and it's just someone beating (laughs) someone after death. It's it's oh. okay because he gets uh, he gets sent to prison to be raped, which was a, a stock <laughs> a stock joke in the nineties. That was it was okay to make that joke. Actually, a stock then. joke in Kevin Smith films. <laughs> <laughs> we have our principal two characters. They have two girlfriends, both of which have broken up with them for different reasons. And so the plot is essentially them winning their girls back. One of them pretends he doesn't care. One of them really does. You know, what I found amazing actually was one of the the one he breaks up with Jason Lee is because he's uh, playing video games all day. And I was sort of imagining, you know, oh, he's on Call of Duty or some really, you know, like Red Dead Redemption Two, some like really <laughs> elaborate game. And then he's like, he, he refers to playing Sega, I think, at one point. It was like, oh yeah, this was set back when that would be like an eight bit. Like really <laughs> he was old school. hockey, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, it's like I mean, they're you know they're, those old games were fun, but I don't know if you quite lose your life to them in the same I way. Mean, as... Again, you're showing how young you are. <laughs> 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 yeah. We didn't. It's not like we went. Oh yeah, this is fun. Now we'll go do something better. That's what we had. I mean, the hours, the hours Bria and I spent playing Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, that that was a that was a time sponge. That game, to be fair. Um, Kevin Smith's a pretty loyal guy, and he. And it's quite impressive, if anything, that they managed to keep the team together with the Scott Mosiers they're still producing. Um, David Klein is still the DOP. Now that's a big surprise because you can put you can put, oh yeah, Scott Mosiers, the producer, here's another five producers to help you. Um and you know, you always keep the director even if they aren't any good. I but, think the cinematography is one of the big reasons this film is a bit uh, lacking, honestly. I, I think it feels like someone who's not particularly adept at 
shooting a film, hasn't really got any sort of artistic eye, is very flat, very uninteresting mm-hmm. to look at. Um, there's often not a particularly good sense of like just what's around, like what the, you know what the area you're looking at, and the sort of more action-oriented scenes are often a bit. Um, you don't get a good sense of the space and everything. I, I don't think this film's well shot at all. I, I think it's one of the weakest elements of it. Um, it really jumped out at me watching this um, the other night. Well, it's... I mean, it's it's a cinematographer who was extremely inexperienced. Uh, certainly inexperienced at this level. So I don't think it's that surprising, really. The fact that the studio allowed him to do it is surprising. Yeah, I, I, I assumed it was I assumed it was the same guy who did clerks based purely on the fact that it was shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and this was it. I like I think there's a lot of the similar things. These long shots, these wide shots. We see the same in Chasing Amy, which is David Klein as well. And again, I'm thinking, is that David Klein's influence? Because it Once just, he's gone, that's no longer there. It just I don't think Kevin Smith is talking to a cinematographer going, okay, this is what we're trying to represent, yeah. how can we do that? I think it's Kevin Smith going, here's the script, you shoot it. Yeah, and yeah, it just it works in Clerks. I don't think it works here. I think it, this film has got a very different feel. Like you say, it's cartoonier, it, it's glossier, and that sort of the wide shot thing it works for a slower film about people mm. talking which obviously yeah, this yeah. this is a film about people talking but it's a bit more madcap and teen comedy hey i don't know it's yeah yeah i agree i agree and you know david klein has gone on to have a very fruitful career um he's come back to work with kevin smith many times he does a lot of tv and stuff like the, the guy's moved on I don't know. I haven't seen any of his recent stuff. I don't know, like if he's changed particularly, but uh, I don't know. I just don't care about any of that because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I mean, Kevin Smith obviously talks about budget a lot, and for me, is that if they managed to make. I know we haven't moved on to Chasing Amy yet, but Chasing Amy was made on a lot less money than this. And to compare that to this, I just think, where have they spent that six million dollars? Is it they got for this? Well, Stan Lee's not Ten. cheap. Well, I mean, this was before a Stanley cameo. It was before. It was, cool. before, yeah. it was before, uh, yeah, before he went big. I tell you what, to say we've been slagging off the acting in uh, these films, he gets the best performance I've ever seen out of Stanley. I mean, I mean it's because he wasn't senile. <laughs> he wasn't some old man who were just rolling out to point at stuff. Um, so, yeah. Jason Mewes has loosened up a bit. I like that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a lot more comfortable in what he's doing, yeah. My my main problem okay, and so in this film, there's a whole there's a whole like little bit where they go off to the 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 other mall, like the the flea mall or whatever they call it. <laughs> the <third laughs> like mall. the the yeah. dirt mall and they see that's not really necessary, none of that it really adds anything. It's a okay little scene, but I think that's necessary. I think have you? I don't know if you've seen any of the deleted scenes or anything on there, or read much into it. Or, but that was added, I think, basically to get around the fact that they'd taken out the whole original opening. Um, oh right. So they had to make quite a few changes. Um, they had to make them leave the mall for a reason, and so that they could then come back with a plan. And that was Fair basically enough. put in. Um, originally, there was this whole like twenty-minute opening where. 
um, the main character accidentally shoots some governor, and this is why Brandy's dad hates him so much, because he lost (laughs) some funding for a TV program, something like that. But it was all taken out, and they've had to kind of do minor rewrites and minor changes. The the one I watched had him nearly shoot the governor, is that where he's oh, whether upon watched... that oh, you've watched the one with the uh, the original opening um yeah that's not the film either. the actual opening's just some narration when i was younger I, yeah i i watched this and i i was thinking if i put the right film on cuz i don't remember any of this <laughs> and they're not in a mall and and what yeah this is really weird and then you know um pulled up imdb and checked the character names and it it so went okay <laughs> so that's not so what's the ending in the the, well, that's, the, that's, that's the beginning. It's the beginning. Is sorry, sorry, not the. So yeah, what's the the start is just Jason Lee um, narrating over images of the mall. You know when uh, you see Rumpunches and all the different shops. That um, it's literally is, just narrating yeah, over the front. Interesting. I think that's what I saw the first time I watched it, and yeah, that's all right. So I've accidentally watched two different versions of the film. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. And I've watched that. I watched that original opening as well. I can't really remember. It was a while ago, but. Yeah, I watched that. I mean, it's not um, very good, and it doesn't fit with the film. It was right to take it out. But it does explain again, yeah. why Brandy's dad yeah. hates him so much, because you're not given any of that. You're just told that he hates him, and that's it. I don't know. I'm all right, though, with less just like a hard-ass dad not liking his daughter's boyfriend, especially when the fuck is trying to marry her, and they're about 21 <laughs> years old. Yeah. What the fuck? And that that's my main problem with this film, because it wraps up with the like all the relationships being patched up together. But there's nothing within this film that tells us they're anything but terrible relationships mm-hmm. that specifically these women should get out of, and but the men manage to drag them back in. And uh, just really toxic, bad relationships that should yeah. not carry on, but we're supposed to be happy that they've got together at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and these like young kids who get married. And again, this is just Kevin Smith, like, find a woman, nail her down. Nail that shit down <laughs> before she leaves you because you're a fat, small dick cocksucker. <laughs> That's Kevin Smith's inner thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I wanted her to go off with Dante at the end in the Brian <laughs> game. Funny. It's not Dante. <laughs> no, Brian O'Hallara. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Struggling to fit that face into a suit. <laughs> Bria, you know you like a big face on a woman. Oh, is this going to be a running theme? <laughs> well, <laughs> if you were a woman who liked a big face on a man, would you like Dante? Or no. is that not what you're talking about? No, that's not that's what I'm into. Face. You don't get the nuances of the big face, so... It's just... It's not a square face, it's like a circle face. It's a very round face. No, the bigger face, it, it's... I'm going I'm to have to I'm gonna have to meet not up with you at some point and bring some right, images. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that whole 15-year-old... Who's having sex with lots of people? Oh yeah, to what? make a book about it. That's like, fucking weird. Yeah, weird. Which yeah. It is weird. It's it, obviously it plays out that they use that as a way to get uh, the Ben Affleck character off but, the back. But it's but it's a but weird like the thing. Jason Lee character is it just like a different chatting time? her up as well and trying <laughs> to get involved yeah. and get filmed with her. I mean, her parents know kind of, what she's doing. Is a weird. But, I think one of the reasons it gets away with it is that, yeah, she looks 36. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, doesn't act like a child anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's just this weird thing. It's just like, is this just 1995? Is this okay then? I guess the, it was. One of the <laughs> just... notes I made was that this is the most 90s thing I've ever seen. Like, oh, that was my first just... note. I put, every, I put everything about this is so 1995. Even the font on the credits is, like, <laughs> yeah, just screams 95. <laughs> 
correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first of many Kevin Smith films that opens with, like, comic book art for no reason, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, he got, like, an actual a good yeah. artist to draw it. That was, again, it was changed. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know about, I don't know about <laughs> it, that. He originally got it changed because it was, again, the, the starting had to be changed, so they put this in instead. So it was kind of a last-minute thing, but it's basically him just an excuse to get someone to draw him like a comic. <laughs> well... I'm I'm gonna take uh, issue with some of what you said, but I'll save it for the next <laughs> film. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming it. There's another scene where Kevin Smith's insecure about the number of sexual partners a woman has. Uh, just a running thing. Yeah, I think it's undeniably a weaker follow-up film. It is a very watchable, enjoyable film, in spite of many, 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 many flaws. So I, I'd give it a, a seven. Just about. Well, I, I I find it hilarious, despite many many. Well, just just rattle off some of the parts you find like really funny. I mean, big titty moments. I was laughing. At, I was <laughs> I was laughing at Jason Mewes a lot. Yeah. Uh, Jason Lee, really. I think if if you take Jason Lee out of this and put in another actor who's just fine, but like not that charisma, then I don't think I would get on with this film in the same way. Have you ever watched Alvin and the Chipmunks uh, three? <laughs> Chipmunks. <laughs> No, I'd be in, I'd be very interested to know what you make of it because that's got Jason Lee in it as well. I'm not saying he's the greatest actor ever. I'm saying he's right for this part. And bear in mind, he was a skateboarder. He was a professional skateboarder. He was not an actor. You're saying Jason Lee isn't right for the role of Dave Seville? <laughs> I would never say that. I do enjoy this film, despite myself. Uh, I'm going to give it eight out of ten. Um, I generally find it funny. Um, it. it plods along nicely I suppose yeah that's a seven it's a, a solid seven for me I, I do enjoy it it's a good film and to say this is the one or certainly early in his career this was the one that he would he Kevin Smith himself would always put through as oh yeah this is the shit one because that's what he's all about owning what other people will insult you for um you know I think there's a reason this took off on the home video market there's a reason this captured that stoner market it has a certain flavor that works on that level um, um and I, I don't think it's a, a bad film at all Kevin Smith's one of these people who's always announcing projects and then very few of them happen he's he's like a Guillermo del Toro he's 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 yeah um so too often complicated. um <laughs> Uh, so we'll, we'll save discussion of Clerks spin-offs, I think, till till we've covered Clerks too. But um, with more rats, that I think he wrote a script for it. It was definitely an idea for a while. He was gonna try and get. I think it was quite close to when the first one came out. He wanted to make a sequel that was just more rats to Die Hard in a Mall, and then <laughs> Paul Blart Mallcott did the same idea years later. And I, you know, I think that would have worked quite nicely. The the idea of a kind of hostage siege thing. You could see that working. Jay and Silent Bob certainly would fit into that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more recently, like as in the last two or three years, um, he wrote a follow-up TV series. Uh, I think it might have been a film initially, and then it was going to be a TV series called Mall Brats. And he basically went around assembling the original cast, getting everyone on board, it was officially announced, it was officially going ahead, and then he just turned around and said, no one's giving us any money to make it, I can't get funding, no one's interested, and it, it's not happening. That is a that is a crucial aspect <laughs> of the filmmaking process. 
and I think because he because he wanted it to be a TV show, I think you know he, he kind of needed to have a channel on board or Netflix or someone. And for Netflix to turn yeah. down Kevin Smith's TV series, that's quite that's quite telling. Um, they'll take a lot of stuff from a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, after Mallrats kind of didn't do very well at the box office, Miramax hadn't given up on a Kevin Smith, and they wanted to do his next film. But he, having had problems with the studio interference, he wanted to do it really low budget and kind of with his mates again. And so the Miramax company said, "Well, right, we'll give you like two hundred and fifty grand, like as as a joke, because they, you can't make a film with that much." And then. Off that, he made Chasing Amy. Really? That that small an amount? Fucking hell. Yeah, it was wow. quite yeah, a yeah, yeah. I think because... I think the story goes something like they wanted to make it for six million with, you know, David Schwimmer in it. And... Oh, man! <laughs> that would have been amazing! <laughs> Can you remember, Bria? Can you remember the three actors that he mentions? No. No, no. Oh, who is it? They, they mention, he mentions three specific actors to play the three main roles. And David Schwimmer was one of them, I think. Um, anyway, so... Um, yeah, so he, yeah, he said, oh, look, I can do it for much less and, and with different actors. Well, no, he said, I want to do it with these actors. And they said, well, we're not giving you any money to do that. So he said, well, give me 250 grand. No, I think, hang on, the story goes, it says... I can make it for two hundred grand, and one of the whichever the one of the Weinstein's it was said, "All right, you can make a film for two hundred grand." I will tell you what, I'll give you two hundred and fifty. Uh, and then he went back to Scott Mosier, and Scott Mosier said, "We can't make a film for two hundred grand." John Stewart, stupid. John <laughs> Stewart, yeah, is the that would be John Stewart as the the banky character, I guess. Yeah, he sort of goes back to his roots of making a little indie film, um, much more under his control, I guess, and found a lot more success. Hmm. And sort of won himself over again in the public eye. Well, I think it's easy to see why it was far more respected than more rats. The the subject material being explored just a bit more weighty. I think that's basically what it comes down mm-hmm. to. It's not a f- the film has aspirations yeah. beyond like dick jokes. Um, it feels yeah. like a proper film with a. You know, greatest respect to the other two that yeah. we've already discussed. It feels like, yeah, there's a, an actual running plot where there's it's not there's a little, like you say a little bit weighty, a little bit more to it. Um, we didn't mention in More Rats there is a, an appearance by Joey Lauren Adams uh, yep. as a sort of not particularly relevant character that just pops <laughs> up every now and then. Um, yeah. And then she is the female lead in this film, next film. Uh, she was fucking Kevin Smith at the time. I'm going to say, we all know why. <laughs> I didn't realise that. <laughs> yes. yeah, I uh, think... It might not be connected at all. <laughs> now, Joey Lauren Adams. I'm alright with her. She's an alright actor. She, she, she should be playing sort of the, the best friend character, really, shouldn't she? Rather than the lead. Now, knowing knowing what you just said about the budget makes us a hell of a lot more forgivable. What One of my big issues that just really wound me up with this film was... Uh, it opens with the exact same comic book art opening credit sequence from the previous <laughs> film. And it makes sense here thematically, unlike the previous film, because this is actually about yeah. comic books and comic book artists. Mm-hmm. We're meant to buy that these guys are, are making a professional comic book and like 
it's really popular and the artwork is shit it is really <laughs> really low quality comic book art that like anyone who's actually into comics would just they wouldn't be taken remotely seriously there's a very specific hideous kind of like it's been it, like colored in on microsoft paint horrible color palette just hideous <laughs> artwork that it's, it's See, a very specific I, style, and they use it here, and I've seen it in other things like this, and it's just... I mean, you say that to anyone who's ever read a comic, but I mean, if I mean, I, I'm not a big comic fan, I don't pretend to be, but at the same time, Kevin Smith is, <laughs> yeah. uh, much more than probably all of us combined, he yeah. owns a comic shop, so I, if he's forwarding it, I imagine he's seen something similar. Maybe it's just not the comics that you read or that you've read. I don't think Kevin Smith's a director who's capable of looking at like any level of art design or set design and going, Possibly not. that's <laughs> good, yeah. that's good, or do it like this. I think he'll just go, yeah, that's a comic book picture. That looks like I a comic book. I do have a feeling, <laughs> though, that the guy who drew mm. these is the guy who draws the Blunt Man and Chronic comics, <laughs> which obviously Kevin Smith is, I believe, partially responsible for, so... He's certainly involved to a certain extent in choosing it and looking at it. Um, the plot is basically Holden and Banky make this comic book. They meet this girl who makes a different comic called Alyssa. Holden and Alyssa start getting on. They find out Alyssa's a lesbian, but then Holden and Alyssa end up falling for each other nonetheless. And it causes trauma in all their relationships. Which it really... That's the basic plot. It... I got really annoyed watching this film, right? Because every <laughs> single character is such a fucking child. Like, it just... Yeah. Just... Who the... Just grow... Like, first of all... <laughs> hey, Amy's like... Not Amy, what's your... Alyssa. Amy. Alyssa's <laughs> like... <laughs> she's all pissed off, like... Fuck you, how dare... Like, for fuck's sake, don't you know how hard it's going to be to not be a lesbian? And you think, well, okay, that's believable that she might think people are going to think less of her. Then there's a scene where she's, like, coaxed into coming out with her lesbian friends. And they, oh, all, they all sort of go, oh. Yeah, surely you your like friends a man. would be, like, like, supportive and, like, questioning it. And like, oh my god, oh my god, well, are you straight now? Even, they wouldn't be like, even oh, you bitch. Yeah, even though, obviously, you would be supportive of your friend and blah, 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 blah. My experience of the gay community is they tend to be quite fluid. Well, and, yeah, uh, they've all come out. Yeah, some but point. guys, 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 we've got to remember this was 1997. It was a different time in terms of public perception of sexuality and acceptance of it. And so it was a little bit more us and them because it was like, okay, this is our community and we feel safe here. <clears throat> and and it, things weren't as fluid back then. And I think... The fact of the character of Banky here, played by Jason Lee, represents the kind of the ignorant view. He's just he doesn't know anything about that world, and he's kind of fascinated by it, and he he he, he kind of treats it with disrespect, but not intentionally. And then you've got Holden, who's really trying to understand it and respect it, and then kind of misunderstanding it, but in another way. And then you've got Alyssa, who's part of that world, and is therefore kind of confused by it because she's trying to step away from it or whatever or she's trying to straddle the two worlds and, and doesn't feel comfortable doing so 
And I do think that is representative of the fact that this was 20 years ago. Yeah. And it the just the way that the, those different cultures were accepted was different. Yeah. My, I mean, like I said, and, my... And I th- the th- some of the things that Banky says in this film, you just would not have a character saying... Oh, God, no, In yeah. a film today, even though... <laughs> it makes ultimately... him hideously unlikable to the point... And I think <laughs> completely differently now than if you watched it in 97. And I think, you know, the and I think it's actually handled quite well... Because ultimately he learns. Um, ultimately, you know, we understand where he's coming from, and that he's there's no there's not a great deal of malice there. The malice that is there is not about sexuality. It's just about him losing his friend and all this. Yeah. And I think it's well rounded character in that sense. I did write. I, mean, a note I just don't think it. you would get away with it. Well, I, I I think it is until until it turns out oh he's gay and that's why he behaves this way, and. And it's funny. It's funny when Ben Affleck accuses him of being gay, and that's like his overly simplistic read on the character, and that's the joke. But then subsequent films confirm, "Oh no, he was gay," and it's just a bit like, "Oh, really?" That. I- but I think, I think again, this is where, like I said, Kevin Smith doesn't quite give you any answers. He just sort of throws these questions at you. And I really, my biggest dislike in this film was the character of Holden McNeil, played by Ben Affleck, because that character is just a total dick, and for some of the reasons you've just said... I think everyone in this film's a dick. I think all of them are so... It's like high school drama, the romance. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And it's this constant... And what you were saying before... Um, about Kevin Smith being very good at presenting different sides of an argument. I think that's true, because every time a character opened their mouth in this film, I was like, oh, fuck off, you are, fuck right, shut up. That's the most annoying argument way of looking at it. But then another character would come out and manage to make me feel the exact same way with, like, an opinion on the other side of the spectrum and it was just quite fascinating how he managed it but this is why i was kind of irritated by that and i was getting a bit wound up by the film in general but the ending won me over because what happens to holden mcneil well yeah ultimately he makes these bad decisions and loses two relationships he loses his best friend of many years and the the first woman he's ever loved and and he loses them both because of his childish and immature behavior but we also get a sense that he's learned from that and that he'll move forward and be a bit of a better yeah. person but a more rounded yeah. person and i loved that ending i loved that that it wasn't a happy ending as in oh and then he won the girl over and his friend was fine yeah it was it was a realistic ending in the sense that we make bad decisions we do say stupid things we do fuck thing fuck up relationships but uh, you know hopefully we learn from it yeah no i i, I agree uh my read is basically it's three incredibly toxic people and i i think the reason i find it kind of maybe a bit difficult to uh, to get on board with the film is because it's just they're so unlikable <laughs> and I don't think the film presents them as pe I think the film presents them as people I should like and should be rooting for and I don't. I hate them. I think they are awful. I just want them to fucking grow up. But you're right, they do grow up at the end and the film does come down on them not being, you know it doesn't present them as 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 people to uh aspire to or emulate yeah. so I, I you know i think it works but i just don't like them <laughs> i find it difficult to root for them on any level yeah and, and and also they make there there are several points where they make incredibly unbelievable character decisions that seem to come out of nowhere uh particularly towards the end but oh the whole sit down with the three of them yeah 
Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. That... But again, I, I didn't like that. But I, I, li- I like the fact that it just fell on its ass, and they were like, "This is yeah, stupid." No. What are you talking about? Happening. Well, like, it, so it, it kind plays of like a big level. gag, and I think it kind of is. But then it's just so out of character with everything we've seen from him up up until that point that you just can't buy any of it. It, it just, yeah, it, it just, I don't know, it doesn't doesn't work. I don't think. The whole one of my complaints with the film um, is that the tone in general just feels quite mm. jarring. Uh, you've touched on it, you know, with the some of the arguments like when they're screaming at each other in the street and things like that. And sometimes when the questions about sexuality are being asked, it's clearly a joke. And then other yeah. times you you're told that oh, this is bad. You shouldn't be asking questions like this. He's a bad person for doing it. And it's like, oh, should we be laughing at it or yeah. should we be judging him for it? And and you've both already said, you know, it feels yeah. you're never quite sure which side you're supposed to be on, and, or, and... or any side, and it's it just feels weird to. I'm never sure if I'm meant to be angry with them, yeah. laughing at them. I think that's or it. it side. It's hard to know where you're meant to stand with a lot of it. And I, it, if it wasn't a Kevin Smith film, I'd think that was by design. But I just don't. I'm not giving him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt, I suppose. But you know, for example, it's things like um, at one point he finds out that he's been led to believe that he's the first man she's ever been with and he's turned her straight and she's a lesbian and then one of the big revelations in the film is oh no she's she's been with men before she's been with lots of people and you know men make up some of that and she gets furious when he confronts her about it because it all seems to stem from him being insecure about the number of sexual partners she's had a running theme with Kevin Smith and it's like no, that's a that's a fucking massive red flag, and like it it should like he's well within his rights to be pissed off because she's she's lied to him very significantly about something quite big to them. It, it, it's not that she's had multiple sexual partners or whatever. It's it's that she's been lying about this thing, and why is she keeping that a secret? But then the character never even acknowledges the fact that, like, the lie is an issue. It's just... Oh, she, well, she, does, she, does. she does. She does. She does. No, no, he doesn't. He he, he always just goes oh. on about, oh, the thought of you sucking dicks, or... Fucking hell, Kevin Smith, get over it. At the same time, though, and it, I don't know how old these characters are supposed to be, and we all, we've all said that we think Kevin Smith probably hasn't grown as much with his insecurities as he should do, but it was certainly an issue when amongst all of my friends as far as I remember to a certain extent when we were younger I don't know how old they're supposed to be but it does feel like they should be older than oh you've slept with too many people at this point yeah I mean if you're not if you're older than 19 that shouldn't well, really yeah, be yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah I think well, that, yeah. That's, that scene particularly where they have a conflict and they go out in the street and they're shouting at each other it's not a well directed scene because Joe Laura Adams is like up at the top oh, straight God, away yeah. and stays there all the time. Yeah, no, she needs a, yeah, it needs yeah, more yeah, levels. Yeah. I don't want to blame her because I think that's the director's responsibility. But um, I like that scene because she's really pissed off at the way that he's confronted her about it. Yeah, yeah. he's pissed off because he's found out this truth. But then she apologizes to him. She kind of tries to make up for him and he pushes her away. I like that. I like this kind of messing up of who's to blame. And and this feels real. This is what relationships are about because it's not like, oh, you did a bad thing and I blame you for that. It is like this mess. Yeah, you did this. I did that. But I still love you. And this does that. I, I really like that. And it, I think it plays well. Yeah. And there's a lack of 
a lack of uh, clean communication, really. I mean, that's yeah. kind of... You know, I agree. It, it does... It captures that very well. I just kind of struggle to gather how much of it's intentional. I, I think a lot of it's here <laughs> by accident, frankly. I don't know. I don't know how many times can he do it by accident, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, he's. I think he's proved himself time and time again that he can write that kind of thing. I don't think he has. I think that this is the only <laughs> film that really has that sort of level of nuance that effectively. Mm-hmm. I, I, but it's, it, he still wrote it, whether <laughs> whether he meant it or not. It's still there. Because even if he didn't consciously do it, he presented something that he felt was true, based on his experiences, mm. I imagine. And and the one thing that you do get from Kevin Smith is honesty. Like, he's open. He's really an open book. Yeah. And he puts that into his fiction as well. Well, again, I think the cinematography is kind of shit in this film. I think it's a step up from yeah, Morrats. Yeah, it's flat. It's very flat, yeah. But again, they have these long shots. Well, Morrats is just a lot more active and dynamic because there's loads of colours and people running around. And things. There's a lot of nice colours in this film, honestly. There, there's One of the things I'll say about the cinematography is that it, it does make quite a nice... quite quite a nice use of the colour palette it's got to work with. It, it does have a lot of, like, blues and reds at night time and it is quite colourful in a way that didn't mm. have to be. Yeah. But I do I do think the editing just isn't very sharp. Yeah. Um, bear in mind this film was edited by Kevin Smith and oh, really? Scott Mosher. This is the first time they'd edited their film. Now Kevin Smith edits all his own stuff these days and really swears by it. It's like it's another he says that's another way of writing a film, you know, it's a, it's the you write it, you direct it and then you edit it. It's like a three part creation. Um and I I agree with that. I believe editing is incredibly important. But this was the first time they'd done it, and I just don't think it's very... It's not bad, it's just not sharp. Yeah. It just needs to be kicked up a little bit. So I, that's probably a budgetary reasons they just couldn't afford an editor. <laughs> yeah, I uh, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I like this concept, uh, a lesbian having to kind of come out as bisexual to her lesbian community, um, or a gay person basically having to kind of... That kind of coming out story from the other side, if you know what I mean, that's an interesting concept. It's kind of dealt with in two scenes here, and not not, and it's kind of just dismissed. Um, but I think that's an interesting story that could be written. I don't know if Kevin Smith could write it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, and that's part. Of, that's the other that, part of this. The, that's one the of the problem big flaws with this film. Is, this film is it feels like it needed to be written by a lesbian woman or someone within the gay community who had that knowledge because it it just. Harking back to what we were saying at the start with that scene feeling very inauthentic where he, where she comes out to her friends and it, uh, accidentally and you saying, well, it's a product of being made 20 years ago. And it, yeah, it, it's, it's a product of someone who isn't part of that community writing what I think is quite an inauthentic take on that community 20 years ago. I, I, it, it just... Uh, what thoughts on Jay and Silent Bob in, in this one? We've not touched on them. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, they of, pop up yeah. for one scene. <laughs> and the problem with this is, Kevin Smith's written a film in which the central character is is essentially representing something he's gone through. You know, that's fair enough. He's writing what he knows. Why would you then write a scene where you come in yourself and tell and a story that ex- exactly explains <laughs> the story you're telling? I mean, <laughs> in a like a 40-second monologue. Why not just do that monologue and go, here's a story about when I was feeling, uh, you know, insecure about a girl. You've already written a film about this. You don't need to then encapsulate it in 30 seconds again. It's just not necessary. They feel really shoehorned into this. Yeah. I mean, it, they were they were comic relief in the other films. They had a certain amount of role and appeal. And in this, it's just 
Jay swearing for a few minutes and then a monologue and then they've gone. That, Like you said, it could have been anyone else doing that. That could have been done in some other way, another scene somewhere else. They're not required in this film. It, there's no reason for it at all. Yeah, but yeah, it's all right. Kevin Smith's starting to get a bit bigger, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, again, it's a sort of little low-budget thing. It, it's very watchable. There's definitely some nice elements and some nice moments to it. I'd, I'd give this a seven as well. I think that's a higher seven than more rats, but still a seven. Yeah, I mean, same. I explained how I feel. I gave it an eight. Um, I do. I do enjoy the film still. And I think it's. I, I just really like Kevin Smith's writing. Actually, I think that's kind of what it comes down to. I, I feel like I've probably been more negative speaking about this than I actually am. It's. Uh, I, I like the film, and although I, it makes me angry, the when it's because I can't <laughs> figure out who. I'm supposed to be siding for, and I quite like that it's asking those questions of me when I look back at it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an eight for me as well. It's a, it's a good film. I enjoy it. Cool. After chasing Amy, really won him over, won Kevin Smith over with the critics again. Sort of proved he could write something a little bit more mature. He went off in a completely different direction, <laughs> um, and made Dogma, by far the biggest film he'd made to date in terms of budget and scale generally, just in terms of mass mm. release. It's quite different from his previous films in that it, it takes a much bigger yeah. topic. But again, it came from his own personal views. It came from his own crisis of faith and his own kind of look at religion and all that sort of thing. Is it right that he wrote this before anything else? Wasn't this his first, or certainly prior to Clerks, that he wrote this? Um, I don't know, I actually. Believe I believe there's... That. Yeah, I believe that's the case, or at least he started, like, wrote a draft of it. I, I imagine it's yeah. very different to what... Well, this this film really, I think it really sums up Kevin Smith a lot. Kevin Smith's the sort of person he's he is smart enough to realize that you know organized religion is just total bullshit, but he's also insecure enough to need faith, to need a, a belief in something bigger than himself, yeah. because he because otherwise it's his responsibility and he can't take. Well, that that, that pretty much echoes my sentiment on this film, which is essentially that. It's a good idea, completely let down by the fact it was clearly made by someone who believes in God. <laughs> well, I think, I, I think, I mean, as speaking as an atheist, you know, I'm, I'm all down with the, you know, hating religion. But I think again, it's it's a very measured view. Yeah, it, it keeps pulling its punches of... at the moments where there's so many moments <laughs> where it's like, right, what you've just described is like a horrible, horrible character, and then we're supposed to be like. Oh my god, God's just turned up. All the complaints we had are forgiven from earlier. I love you, God. Oh god, I'm going to bow down to you, God. I love you so much, Alanis Morissette. And well, that's what that's what forgiveness is, you know. That's what religion is all about. Exactly. Forgiveness. And this is a critique of that written by someone who like believes in it. So it it just comes across as like it it's someone who believes in in God and believes in a faith and doesn't necessarily agree with religion and well, the yeah, way dogma, that it's set yeah. up, doesn't in the dogma. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think there's necessarily an issue from his point of view of people worshipping God, certainly from his point of view. And I don't feel that it... I agree. I don't, I don't there's, feel just, there's a few points where... I mean, for example, our, our main character, she early on basically says, Alan Rickman shows up and says, like, God's real. Do you want to help out? Save the day for God. And she's like... No, God is God's a bell end. Look at all this shit that he does. What an awful person. Later on, she meets God, and in no way has any of what she said earlier been 
countered or even mentioned again, really, and suddenly she's totally on board with God, and you're just meant to think, oh, God's great. God's not dead, guys. God's not dead. I, I, I'm an atheist as well, and I agree with the whole, the way I feel about religion is similar to yourself. However, from her point of view, you know, her big issue with God was that the ability to have a child was taken away from her, and then her husband, who was obviously a dick, left her because of that, so she's probably better off without him anyway. And <laughs> yeah, it's just a, all right, hit you pregnant now, that's fixed. And maybe that's not the best way to deal with it, but from her point of view, I could see that she's oh, God is real, they're right in front of me, they've saved the day, and they've fixed the one issue I really had with them. I can see why they would be kind of come around to it. And also, by the way, Jesus Christ was your great, great whatever, so you're actually related. If you were put in that real-life position, you wouldn't go, oh, yeah, you're a bellend. I don't know, I might. You probably would. (laughs) Specifically given the circumstances where everything's been kicked off, this... Okay, so this film is is definitely different to his previous films. Yeah, and and again, Um, in a very jarring way, because this is... We haven't mentioned properly, but these these films are all set within the same cinematic universe, to use a modern terminology. Uh, Yeah, the Viewers universe. Well, they are. They are. But this is very tonally different to everything he's made before. (laughs) And so... I mean, you're, you're you're a proponent also for tone within the same universe being allowed to be different. You've said, you know, we could do a comedy, <laughs> we could do a, a horror, we could... I don't have an issue with that. I just think it's kind of strange. I, what I do have an issue with is then when they try and come back to Jane and Silent Bob being like normal people, act as if they've never seen God in the next film, it becomes a bit more awkward but um, oh yeah we can we're, we're gonna yeah, talk about the next film there's plenty of issues with that one <laughs> well i think I, I think this film is very yeah it's i always see the the viewers universe thing as more of a kind of like nice little easter egg nice little thing for the fans i don't think it's really relevant to much one perhaps ex- um, uh, exception to that is jay and silent bob turning up in this film because <laughs> there's they're so connected with the other films, obviously, the characters that are already established. And I think he does actually a very good job of making them fit in this film and and giving making their characters relevant. I actually really like that. I mean, I'm, I'm going to put out there, it's probably quite clear anyway from the discussions with it, I'm going to defend this film quite heavily probably <laughs> from any criticism, um, <laughs> even if I agree with it. I, watching this film again made me realise just how much I like this film and maybe mm. it's just remembering my original watchings of it or whatever, but I think this stands up really well. There are issues with it, obviously. But yeah, I really like this film, and I think they work much better in this universe than they do in... Sorry, in yeah. this film, than they do in a lot of the others. They work quite well with it. They bring the right level of humour to what is otherwise yeah. a relatively serious subject, I suppose, or could be. How do you feel about Jay and Silent Bob in this film? Uh, I think they are the funniest they've ever been um they <laughs> they really click here this is them being put to good use um they know what they're doing for once yeah great i i'd like to see more of them in supporting roles in sort of genre <laughs> so you want to see more of them well, just you <laughs> in, in in like genre <laughs> genre pictures you know i i, I like the idea like of horror. yeah stick them in a haunted house or uh Scream three, you know it, it, they work really well here. <laughs> like this, this could be like Bill and Ted three. You could just swap them out. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. yeah. no, I, I really like them here, and I I found them legitimately quite funny. 
in in a more intelligent way than they've ever been funny before. Like it wasn't just relying on snoogins or whatever shit he says and, <laughs> and going on about like sucking clips and stuff. It was snoochie. He does, he does do a fair He does a bit of that, well. but then he also, you know. <laughs> Asks, says he's driving the car and then breaks it by not knowing what a gear is and stuff like that, which is just a bit more, it's like a different level of humour that it's suddenly working on, which I think is, you know, nice. The plot, basically, is our lead of Linda Fiorentino. She's she's a Catholic, but she works in an abortion clinic. So straight away, you're setting up this sort of <laughs> um, dichotomy character. But... <sighs> Again, that that is kind of just there to be deliberately antagonistic to to set up the character because the fact that she works in a abortion clinic is never really relevant other than she's like a bad Catholic, you know what I mean? And she's a lapsed Catholic. And she's called off on by the Metatron, played by Alan Rickman, the voice of God, <laughs> to essentially go on a holy pilgrimage to save the world because <laughs> two two angels are going to kind of accidentally destroy Ooh, and, and all existence. What a what a find they had in Matt Damon, eh? <laughs> it's a shame. Do I get a hint of sarcasm? <laughs> well you've got you've got brilliant, you know, lead actor material Matt Damon. He, he's a, a good actor. I like Matt Damon. Shame he couldn't bring any of that talent to the table in this particular film, isn't it? <laughs> well I think I think this is one of those uh, examples of where Kevin Smith making films with his friends and having a good laugh doesn't get the best out of people. Yeah, this, um, for me, Matt, Matt Damon just seems to be enjoying himself. Whether he's yeah. acting well or not, he doesn't seem to care. He just seems to be having a lot of fun with it. And you can see that he's enjoying himself, whether or not he's I good think, or not. Is different. I think he and Ben Affleck are awful in this film particularly i think ben affleck is particularly awful in this film like i was again to say my my sort of concept of ben affleck's largely been shaped by watching things like argo it was just astonishing he's awful in this film and i i don't think ben affleck is a good actor particularly i think he gets away with it and he does a fine job just right away like why would you not cast them the other way around That'd fix it. That'd make it work like so much better. It might not be great, but they're so they're just not the right way round. Those two parts. Ben Affleck, I think, could play that real maniacal dickhead because he does it in more rats. I think I I agree with you to a certain extent. I think the issue with that is at the end when it flips. I I don't think I could see Ben Affleck go from that maniacal dickhead Mm. to the drunken human who's sorry about it now. I don't think that would work. But overall, throughout the film, yeah, you're probably right. And and, and similarly, I think Matt Damon's too inherently likeable to work in the role he's given here. And yeah. That was supposed to be Jason Lee. That would have been so much better. Yeah. Originally, it was meant to be Ben Affleck and Jason Lee again, but Jason Lee had some filming commitment, which meant he couldn't give the time to it, which was why he took Azrael in the end. You know that cheating couple... Um, on the bus, like when the guy gets shot, is that the same couple that are getting off on the the hood of the car and uh, chasing Amy? Scott Mosey is the same, isn't it? It It is the same woman as well, actually. All right, that was a nice little bit of continuity. I thought that was quite nice. But she's 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 like the production manager on the film. You know what I mean? She wasn't 
wasn't like an actor. They just said, "Oh, can you play this extra role?" Yeah, but I assume they're meant to be the same <laughs> characters yeah. as well. Then that, that's quite a nice little detail. If if you're gonna do this sort of intertwining universe connectivity thing, I'd much rather I'd much rather we get stuff like that than. Oh, my friend fucked a dead guy in a toilet in that town once. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit too on the nose. Yeah, the, so yeah, two angels are played by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. They've been sort of banned from heaven and now they've found to find find this way to get back in. But in doing so, will uh, undo end existence. existence. Brilliant yeah. concept, like really fantastic concept there for a, a story. I think. Well, what I, what I do like about this is how much sort of Christian iconography, Christian ideas, and like stories and stuff that it it brings in, and like the angels and all this sort of stuff, without being alienating. Without because I don't know that much about all these details, it's explained just just enough to pull you in. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's very. Um, I don't think it's particularly accurate a lot of the time. You know, you've got Chris Rock complaining that all the all the white apostles are remembered and the black ones were forgotten when, of course, they were all fucking Middle Eastern. But, uh, Middle Eastern. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, but well, I mean, one of the angels is is called Loki, which isn't yeah. even, you know, a Catholic or Christian. <laughs> that as well. You know, it's, it's Norse mythology. It's it's not even <laughs> the right kind of god or anything like that. So it's, it's not particularly... But it, it, does, it does play, um, for the most part. Now, just just to go back to the two angels there, you've got Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, who I've complained about and I think are shocking in this film. Um, but them aside, the acting is suddenly a hell of a lot better than anything in any Kevin Smith film to date. Now, is that the result of just hiring good actors, or has Kevin Smith improved as a director? Um, I'll tell you what has improved. The size of the budget. That's why you can afford someone like uh, Alan Rickman, well, Alan Rickman was a big Chasing Amy fan. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon obviously come in on the cheap. They're friends of Kevin Smith. They're hot off of um, Goodwill Hunting, which means they bring in a budget. The, the production, the produ- the producers, well, the studio will go. Oh, you've got Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in it. We can sell that. Here's twenty million dollars. Um, they their performance then... would suggest to me that Kevin Smith hasn't got any better at directing actors, and it's just the he's able to hire <laughs> good actors. Jason Lee is is good in this. He's just he's he's like he was in the previous film, more confident, seems to know what he's doing now. Uh, Alan Rickman is Alan Rickman. He's 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 not his best work. Actually, but, I think uh, he what what did I say? I think he he plays it quite kind of. He plays it with a certain level of camp that that works, but again, it feels like an actor with no direction. It just yeah. feels like he's sort of made this decision. Oh, I'm going to play it really dead. Chris now. Rock is ever dependable. I I think this is a a good role for him. Yeah, again, not Chris Rock's never been an amazing actor, but he's got that great charm and just such a power of personality. Yeah, force yeah of personality he's just likable regardless, that, isn't he? Can do it, yeah. George Carlin has a yeah. an extended cameo that people seem to think's better than it is. Um, it's fine. It's, fine yeah. it's nice. That's a nice concept, though. The Catholic Church trying to bring in the youth. <laughs> I do like that. You've got these kind of not dead ends, but things that don't quite play out. There's the the rubber poop monster. Yeah, never <laughs> quite. Just it's just for that scene. It never yeah, goes yeah. anywhere. Well, that, that when that appears, it, it feels like they're setting up a, a big concept that is going to play into the film significantly, or at least like a villain that's going to be pursuing them for the rest of the film. And like you say, it's one yeah. scene. It's just set up for a gag with some 
deodorant or what like air freshener is weird. Yeah. And then the same with Azrael, who's dispatched sort of yeah, very simply in quite a nice way. I like what they did, but it just seemed yeah. a bit too easy yeah. that the main villain is just like poof, he's gone now. And that's because oh, we have to get rid of what who is essentially the the big bad guy, the yeah. head, the guy behind it all, so that we can concentrate on this redemptive story. And and I again, I like that the fact that our villains are redeemed, are redeemed, and that they have. We are on their side in some way as well, because but then in that case, don't have the big bad guy that we is just evil and we have to get him. You know, if you're gonna do a, that ambiguous story, yeah, uh, just have it, them just figure like it out li- on their own. Little elements like that, which I, like I'm saying I'm, again, like we have been on the others. I think I'm picking out the negative things because I like <laughs> the film. So, yeah. so yeah, little elements of that in the script that don't quite work but again i just the way he writes is great i he gets away with a lot because of it do you, do you want to know my right so there's, there's three things that really wind me up in this film do you reckon you can guess any of them Ooh. <laughs> um that god just fixes everything at the end and uh that's... yeah i guess so that's not one of the ones that no, actually no i'm fine with that well no i'm not that's not one of the ones i was gonna <laughs> list four things then it's it's going to be something really weird and obscure yeah. anyway. Like, well, some sort of... <laughs> two of them are. One of them is. Uh, go on. Well, I right. So I, I hate those fucking demon hockey players because Kevin Smith clearly <laughs> thinks that's the coolest idea he's ever seen. He thinks fucking hell, hockey and demon hockey demons. This film is going <laughs> to be the fucking shit, man. And they I know are what the, so. One of the is. I know what one of the others is now. <laughs> so fucking lame. I hate them. They are so I'm... shit. <laughs> they're not. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's henchmen. They've got a gimmick. It's not right in it. But then, but then there's. But what relevance is there for like hockey to Christianity? There's no line to be drawn unless I missed a line of dialogue that explains it. I don't. No, it's just a gimmick for. Them. It's just Kevin Smith went. Oh, I like hockey. Yeah. You could have at least written a line of dialogue like, oh, they manifest in a, you know... They were a hockey team way that died fits... in the car Yeah, yeah, anything. To... <laughs> no, they're, they're it just... Oh, it's just it's just self-indulgence that I don't like. Yeah. So on that on that level, the other complaint is God loves ski ball. <laughs> it's not that, because no. it's exactly the same problem. It's just like, they have it in Chasing Amy... They go and do it because obviously Kevin Smith thinks that's the height of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my other complaint is is the obscure one that you were com- you're going to complain about. Um, you know when they go into Mooby's uh, head office and shoot up the place. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and Mooby, what is Mooby's like? A kind of Walt Disney analogy as well as a, a McDonald's thing. It seems to be both. Yeah, the theme it's supposed parks to be, and yeah, the music and the films. Thing. Yeah. So in the background, you've got all these bits of art that are like all the other movies characters, like you know, um, yeah, Rufy and, and, and Ronald Ruck and all these kind of, and they're presumably drawn by whoever did the comic book art in the previous two films <laughs> oh, because they God. are fucking shit. And it's like as if a multi-million-dollar empire could be built on those hideous shit character designs rendered in such horrible way. And it's just, it's like, there's no excuse to have such shit set design, production design, in a film with a budget like this. Because this film obviously does have some money behind it. It's just bad direction. It's shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
and it's it's emblematic of a lot of this film's direction honestly uh, i mean that that's the one that sticks out to me i'm assuming it's the same i'm assuming he's mates with a a graphic designer or an artist who draws all this shit and can't get any work elsewhere because they're shit <laughs> uh and the third one is you're not meant to be on ben affleck's side but he's clearly correct <laughs> in what in what is he correct in that god is awful and like he should probably just destroy all of existence if God's going to be such Oh, you a... mean when he turns and goes I'm going to say, like, yeah, that's like right at the end when he's turned as yeah. opposed to throughout. But like Ben Affleck basically goes off on a big speech about how God turned her back on like these people and it's not fair and it's wrong and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, everything he says is completely 100% true within the context of this film. But he's painted as a villain for it. And yeah, he doesn't have to kill those people, but like... But what, what are you going to do if you're a god and people are trying to bring you down, you know? you got to defend. Yeah, I mean, his only punishment, really, is being sent to Earth. And he's talking about how much the humans are revered over the angels. But all he's doing is, you know, the life that he hates is one of a human, but with wings. <laughs> so, you know. But we were given free will and he wasn't. We we were given the, the ability to not crave God's love in the same way. And he, he's been made by God in this way that causes him existential and, like, eternal suffering. And it's it's God's fault that he has those feelings and suffer. I mean, you could argue he brought it on himself as well, but people need to be given the right to grow and change and... and... You're adding your own sort of belief to it, though. I mean, we don't really know that he has that existential suffering. He's No, you see, he literally says it. He, he says... It also literally says that they can become human by cutting their wings off. So does that mean that... Yeah, that well, that annoyed me. Because... That existential yeah, no, I, that's quite, I had the same <laughs> so, question. So, yeah, if he just becomes human, then surely stop pissing him off. No, I know. Well, when I found out they could just become human, I was like, hang on, why didn't they just do that at the start? Yeah, that is it. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah. So I mean, what you what you're dealing with here, Sol, which you mentioned yourself, is that this is written by a man who's questioned his faith and and really thought about it, and still come out on the side of faith. And anyone who actually really thinks about it and still works it out that that's a good idea and something you should follow, you know, it's it's a certain type of person who would do that. <laughs> so, you know, it's one thing to blindly have faith, but to see and and still go along with it that's that's another thing and that's what kevin smith is you know well that's it because you're 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 coming at it from a point of view of like well i've analyzed this and obviously this is nonsense if you're gonna if you're gonna actually try and apply logic to it then this mm. doesn't work but you know this is that's not what i think and, and my problem with that is not that kevin smith's written that i think that's fine and this is his thing my problem with it whenever kevin smith talks about it he's like Oh, don't take it so seriously. It's a film with a rubber poop monster. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, if you're going to explore these ideas, then yeah. you've, you've done it. You can't then just go, oh, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You're obviously expressing yourself. You're expressing your ideas about religion. Stand by it. That's fine. We haven't really spoken about Linda Fiorentino. Um, there was this period of about three or four years where she was a thing. Well, And she then done? she disappeared again. Uh, Men in Black. Oh, it's her. Okay. She was in a little indie film called The Last Seduction, which was kind of a bit of an indie success. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, that sort of neo-noir thing. Yeah, exactly. That kind of got her into the mainstream for a couple of years, did these two films, basically, and then disappeared again. I don't know really what happened to her. She got pregnant, didn't she? The the new Christ. (laughs) Oh, yeah, she had the Christ born. (laughs) She's a perfectly fine actor, but 
again, I I might have to blame the director for this. She plays this thing like she's stoned, like she she's like she's on tranquilizers or something. I've I've only I've only seen her in this and Men in Black, I think, and then an interview with her. And from my experience of her, that's just sort of how she is all the time. She looked a bit out of it in the interview as well. She might have in been Men in Black, a, she's very... She might be just off of fucking tits on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's not impossible, is it? Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe that's why she her career just stopped. Well, Kevin Smith said... He, well, I know Kevin Smith's word isn't necessarily anything to go on, but he said that she was very difficult to work with. Oh, really? He wished he'd given the role to someone else. Whether that's she's a professional actress. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you know, who knows? But he said she was very difficult to work with. Mm, that could be the performance of someone who's just trying to get through it. Yeah. So, Alan, mm-hmm. I know you don't like the film Home Alone. <laughs> yeah? Is that because Kevin Smith told you that it, you shouldn't like <laughs> it? <laughs> no, in fact, Kevin Smith loves John Hughes. I don't know. I, was, I find it interesting that he took a pop at Home Alone, and maybe yeah. that's, he doesn't like it. And that's like the one John Hughes film he doesn't like. So, a, another sort of broad thesis about this film, and why I think it maybe doesn't work as well as it ought to. Kevin Smith, he's, he's got the comedy thing down in this film. He's He's got the hang of making a sort of funny, amusing film, more or less. He's not a good enough director to do any of the other stuff this film requires. For instance... Uh, make Matt Damon seem cool and menacing, like when he <laughs> shoots up that bus... Uh, that scene doesn't work at all. Give it a sense of scope. Give it a sense of like big uh, menace or peril at the end. Uh, it just mm. it completely the yeah. cinematography is shit again. It's completely flat in the exact same way. Way too close ah, in. That's interesting. It's different different DOP on this. Well, one. it's it's shit in this one, and it's it's not wide enough shots now. Now you never pull back far enough to get a sense of, like I say, scope. It's just very flat. It's just the most bland way of shooting a film. It's just point a camera. It's done competently, well, this, but... <laughs> they they insist on having a different DOP for this bigger scale film. They say that they, they we give you a budget, we want a proper DOP. Uh, the DOP is Robert D. Yeoman, who basically does all Wes Anderson's films. Because there are a few shots where, like, with a different choice of lens, it might have looked quite nice. There, there's one where, um, when they're fighting each other on the train carriage, and then it's shot from, like, through the window from outside, and it, like I say, with a different lens, that could have looked nice, but there's no depth to it at all. It feels so flat and lifeless, and it, it most of the film feels like that, and it, it feels very claustrophobic. I don't know if that's a budgetary thing, like, the set wasn't big enough to... Like at the end, when when uh, Ben Affleck's flying around causing havoc, it just feels so small and intimate in a way that I don't think is intentional. It, it, it's just, I just don't think Kevin Smith's a good enough director to pull this script off properly, basically. And it, yeah. it, 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 I put it this way: Little Nicky has a better sense of scope <laughs> and <Yeah>. like <laughs> peril and stories and film. <laughs> But on the plus side, the idea of Jesus having a relative on Earth, really fucking great concept again. Really fantastic way the plot develops. Love it. So, you know, there's some good concepts. Well, anyway, how did you feel? What was your rating? Uh, yeah, it's alright, I give it a seven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a similar sort of thing, really. Yeah, it's like, I think, well, I think it's alright, but I'm going eight. Uh, because again, I just like I like his writing, and it's it always just pulls me through. So despite 
the flaws that we've mentioned, I'm happy to give it an eight. I do think this might be his weakest film to date, though, I've got to say. And this, again, this this has been a 10 out of 10 for me at, at times in my life. And it's come down slowly over the years. I mean, this uh, this is a film I still really, really love. Um, and again, I can appreciate the faults in it. And yeah, it's it's an eight film, but I enjoy it like it's better than that. Um, so, but yeah, it's yeah, it's an eight. Let's move on. Let's move swiftly on to the last one. Now the the culmination of the Viewers Universe, the the Avengers of the Viewers Universe, if you will, the big crossover event no one asked for. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe you might know more about this, but is my memory is that the story goes. Kevin Smith told Jason Mewes if he got off the smack, he'd put him in a film again. And this was the result. Because <laughs> Jason Mewes... No, for the- no, I don't think that... I think that was there was a story going around at the time of something along those lines. Um, but I think this is the film where he was basically on smack throughout it. And after this film, he said, I'm never using you again unless you get clean. I'm, I'm not your friend. We'll never speak again unless you get clean. And it was the experience on this film that led him to that decision. Well, that's interesting because so, it's the best performance Jason Mewes has ever given. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's just in case anybody doesn't know, Jason Mewes, uh, you know, was a heroin addict for a long time and pretty much a fucking no-hoper, like, druggie. Probably only alive because Kevin Smith <laughs> like, oh, yeah. helped oh, him yeah. out financially specifically, but also, you know, giving a sort of purpose. And I've got a bit of a cod psychology theory that the reason Kevin Smith keeps Jason Mewes around and likes him so much is because he's one of the few people in his life that makes him feel good about himself. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm better than you. Yeah. Because we've mentioned that Kevin Smith is so insecure about himself. I think a complete fuck-up like Jason Mewes is one of the few people who makes him feel better. And there's a certain condescension and patronizingness to their relationship. Um, Jason Mewes gets put down by Kevin Kevin Smith puts down Jason Mewes more than he puts down anyone else. He'll have a joke with other people. Mm. But he's too busy putting himself down, whereas he will slag off Jason Mewes and like take the piss out of him. Even the, even even within the film, like some of the rare times Silent Bob speaks, a lot of them are, are given to him just calling Jay a stupid fucking idiot yeah. and like Particularly losing his Jay's yeah, <laughs> losing his shit at him. And, and to be fair to Jay, why doesn't he just fucking talk? <laughs> oh yeah, on that on that scene on the bridge at Jane Silent Bob Strike Back when he's doing it, I'm like, yeah, I'm totally on his side. <laughs> we know you can speak, just fucking tell him. <laughs> you know he's an idiot. Just explain <laughs> it to him. Well, it's, and he's trying to mime a sign by doing a squ- It doesn't. It's not even like a good, an obvious mime that he's doing. Uh, anyway, yeah, you could argue in previous films that he just didn't have anything to say. You know, yeah, he didn't exactly. need his words. But, but in this one... That one particular, it's like you need to communicate something, just communicate it. Yeah. The story is its kind of a continuation of what was set up in Chasing Amy in that there's a comic book based on Jay and Silent Bob, which is, I mean, something of a MacGuffin in, in Chasing Amy. But in, in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, there is a Hollywood film being made of that comic book. And so Jay and Silent Bob want mm. to stop it from happening. Hot on the heels of uh, X-Men, like way before superhero movies were a proven entity. But again, Kevin Smith can't just stick to one plot, so he has this whole diamond heist thing that they get, yeah, get involved in. There's a chimp a in there. Chimp. 
Will Ferrell. Uh, it's an orangutan, I believe, actually. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. okay. Oh, it's an orangutan. Um, you're right. Yeah. Racist. Um, and <laughs> and then the most heinous <laughs> sho- shoehorn crowbar cameos and oh. fan service oh, and uh, <laughs> callbacks to films that lots of people haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. It's a real. I mean, I can't believe it was made. Frankly, I mean, I understand why Kevin Smith would want to make it. I understand why fans would enjoy it, but I can't believe well, that someone did, signed it off. Did Kevin I mean, Smith want to make it? Because there's about fifteen times, I think, without exaggerating, where characters basically say, "Like, boy, oh boy, wouldn't a film exactly like the one you guys at home are watching be really shit?" And then so look to many camera. Breakings of the fourth wall. Just oh. that is classic Kevin Smith self-deprecation. Call it out before they do. Slag yourself off before they do. Hey, I'm fat, I've got a small cock, I suck cock. But he's obviously really insecure about this film, so he's obviously got... Actually, yeah, t- to be fair, that's he, do- he doesn't usually do that in the films. I made that point earlier, didn't he? He usually he has faith in his ability as a writer. So, uh, yeah, this, perhaps that's it. he this just feels he knows full well. Like he's <laughs> not... Like, he, like he's contractually obligated to make it, basically. Yeah. That's what this feels like. <laughs> Yeah, I know this is shit, but I'm doing it for me and my mates, So, uh, and you've all paid to watch it, so enjoy. <laughs> I think my feelings are coming out on this. I, so, yeah, at the start, you do have all these... It's like a, a victory lap, just going to all the characters from the previous films. So you've just got all these people reprising these roles from seeing where they're... You know, Dante's there, and Randall. Back of the quick stop. That's and, all right uh, because it's part of setting up Jane Silent Bob. I yeah, that one that. works. Then you got Ben Affleck as from Chasing Amy, and and they go to visit like Jason Lee, and it it it's, it yeah, it's just yeah, you, very. You've got um, both Jason Lee characters, <laughs> characters from two different. But if you films. haven't, if you haven't seen those films, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, just oh, mental. it's Jason Lee again. Oh, it's Ben Affleck playing a character. Wait, he's playing himself now. What's going on? Uh, but it's, it's himself. That kills hookers. It's um, <laughs> and none of that's handled very well at all. Past the quick stop bit, and even the quick stop bit. Like I said earlier, why, why are they treating it like it's the same day as Clerks when it's like seven <laughs> years later? <isn't> it? <laughs> the, the fucking shutters are closed. <laughs> Not only are they closed, but the exact same shoe polish sign <laughs> assuring us that they're open is still it's there. Survived all these years. Yeah. Uh, again, Ben Affleck is awful throughout this film. <laughs> it's a running, running theme. There is so much passive homophobia in this one. It, it just, it's really, it just starts to grate after a while. And again, I know, like contextually, I would usually take the side of if that character would say it and it fits within the context, blah blah blah. Then, like, that's fine. It's not condoning it. But there, there is so much of it in this film. Um, it's just a bit. But I guess that's what you get for making a film with Jay and Silent Bob as the protagonists. Yeah. Um, or Jay, to be honest, as the protagonist. Yeah. Um, this really is just a, a weak um, assemblage of a load of comedy sketches. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think, to me, this is probably the funniest film so far that he's done. I think, <laughs> like, throw any pretense of making it into like a coherent story out the window... It's got a, a maybe sixty percent hit ratio for what works, but then like there's some actually really funny stuff in it. Chris Rock in this is the funniest thing in a Kevin Smith film. 
I did write a note actually saying Chris Rock completely steals this entire film. Yeah. Like towards the end, I was ready for it to be finished, and then obviously Chris Rock turns up and just instantly brilliant. He's just. It, do you yeah, think? Like, do you think Kevin Smith wrote any of that? I, no, no, I don't think a word. <laughs> no, it's, it's, that's just Chris Rock being told go mental, which is a, good. That's what you're gonna. Director. That's what you want to do. But that's what works with Chris Rock in a cameo. That's great. It's, yeah. And it's just long enough. I imagine the coffee, the guy bringing him a coffee, that was the written bit, and then they just sort of let him fly off the handle with it. As cheap as it is, like the cameos do just keep it interesting. That is, is a cheap way to keep a film interesting, but it, it does. You you have, you know, George Carlin pops up again. It's not even funny, but he's there. Uh, <laughs> Tracy Morgan, one of my favourites. Yeah, yeah. Young before, Tracy before Morgan. Before he was really yeah, anything, before yeah. he was really known. Gus Van Sant as himself, just in like quite that. a funny role. Gus Craven. <laughs> You're a true it's, artist, Gus. Uh, there's, there's a red flag of things to come in Kevin Smith's career in that his his daughter, Harley Quinn, portrays baby oh, Silent Bob. Oh, his wife's in it as well. That's fine. Oh, the ba- having your baby play a baby is fine. But yeah, he having does put her. his wife in it. And she, she's, she's not an actor, and she never no. claims to be. So it's not like we're slagging her off here. <laughs> she, no, and she does a like perfectly f- fine her job her in. In, in this thing. Mm. But, yeah. And and as I mentioned before, Will Ferrell's got quite a big role. I forgot Will Ferrell was in this. Well, no, I completely forgot as well. I'd forgot, I'd, I, yeah. I think you're much... I think the world is much less a fan of Will Ferrell than I am. I, I think as, <laughs> as something of a... Without wanting to sound like a pretentious cunt, as something of a student of comedy who has like really dug into... like comedy and how you know the the craftsmanship behind it and admires it have, i i think will ferrell sound is pretentious a, there <laughs> <laughs> i think will ferrell is a phenomenal talent and like it doesn't always you know he, he's made a lot of shit and i think that's why he's perhaps not regarded as as the talent that he is but i think, I think he I, he's operating i agree with you to a certain extent yeah. yeah, for think... me, he's sort of like the Steve Martin of his uh, yeah. more modern generation. Yeah. In that, you know, and... it's funny for a bit, and then everyone got a bit bored of it. Yeah, and there's probably lots of other stuff that he does, but he's stuck with that one thing that the the world knows him for, and we're tired. The thing with Will Ferrell is, you can just leave him be, just let him do whatever without even having much time to think about it, and it will be like vaguely amusing. There will be it'll be kind of funny. You get the impression, certainly if you are familiar with his work, almost everything that he comes out with in this film, I think, is improvised by Will Ferrell. It, like, yeah. there's a lot of takes used in the film where it looks like he's yeah. about to start cracking up, or other people around him are, like, laughing in a way that feels like authentic laughter rather than reacting to his joke. That mm-hmm. Not just with him, actually, with a few actors, there's a few points where it it feels like they're using takes of people just corpsing because they were pratting around. But I, I think he is... He he operates at the level that this sort of kind of comedy operates at, like, effortlessly. And I, I think, as a result, he's one of the better things in this film. Well, I agree. I think he's fantastic yeah. in this. And this is probably one of the first things I ever saw him in. I've probably seen him in the Austin Powers little role he does in that. But yeah, I think that was I the first thing I didn't know who he was here. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with this. I think... We can talk about this later when we talk about <laughs> Holmes and Watson. But I think we, I think what's, <laughs> I think what's happened with Will Ferrell is that 
he's just got away with it for too long. And so now there's no one sort of checking him. No one's saying, well, that's not funny, actually. Let's try something else. He just does... You're saying he does whatever he wants, but he's lost the, he's lost the sense of what works. Well, I don't know. So he I just think, does anything. I don't think he has. I, he's I, mostly shouting. I think Will Ferrell... One of the reasons I really like him is I, I think he does do a lot of weird little experimental projects that are actually really interesting, really funny conceptually. But they don't tend to be things that end up making loads of money, and the things that he ends up being well known for are the yeah. big money makers, not yeah. his little things on the side. Yeah, that's fair enough, yeah. Because um, I know he did that thing in Spanish, didn't he, that nobody watched? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, again, like a cool, quite a hearty kind of concept. Didn't, you know, didn't work. But. <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume that he wasn't really very well known for anything at this point. I assume he'd just done Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live, Live at this, at this point? point. I guess that's yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. So this is probably one so, of his yeah. kind of breakout roles, I guess. Um, when yeah, definitely. Saturday Night Live stars start doing films. Oh, hang on. 2003, Old School and Elf. So there you go. That's his big breakthrough year. I feel like he was established by the time Elf came. Or not not maybe his main... Like, I knew who he was before yeah, Elf came yeah. along. But same year as and this, I think he it was, was in Old Zoolander. School did it. Like I say, Chris Chris Rock's hilarious in this. I think Will Ferrell has got a lot of moments that are genuinely really funny, and and like it's beyond stupid most of the time. His character, it it's like in Dumb and Dumber where it's so stupid it transcends stupidity and just comes around the other side. It, it's that that scene where they've got them surrounded and then they dress up the the orangutan as a kid and then just walk out and then and then he just lets them go and he's like oh that was them wasn't it shit it was just it's so dumb <laughs> but i found it funny and you know what really made me laugh was when they're on the set of scream some one of the scream films and which is presumably why jay and silent bob inexplicably appear in scream 3 for a cameo yeah Something um, reason, which doesn't it doesn't make sense in universe at all because it's a film and what, I don't even know. But anyway, um, but, but then the the orangutans inexplicably in the screen mask, and then someone comes over to Wes Craven and says like, "What the fuck is this?" And he's like, "Hey, the 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 monkey tests really well. People love it." And then Jay and Silent Bob run in and go, "We love this monkey!" and run off with it. And he goes, "What did I say?" It's just <laughs> that 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 Shannon Doherty is in Mallrats. It is a that is another cameo. It's not just oh okay. I really find Jason Mewes to be very amusing, and so <laughs> I like this film. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and it is it is. There's loads yeah loads of bits you like. There's loads of bits where you just think I can't believe you're doing this, but because I have watched all the previous films, I know what's going on. Yeah, I th- it works for me. I I think this is just it throws enough shit at the screen that enough sticks to kind of get away with it. Basically, I think objectively it's Kevin Smith's worst film to date at this point, but subjectively yeah. I get more out of it than. To be honest, I'd be, I'd probably rather sit down and watch this than any of his films apart from Clerks, just on a you personal see, level. You see, I would see. I, I know what you're saying, and I agree to a certain extent. But it's the same. I I could watch more Rats just over and over again, whereas I wouldn't sit down and watch Clerks over and over again, even though it's a better film. Um, but yeah, I know I know what you're saying. Funny, completely pointless, but that's okay. It's a stoner comedy. I give it seven out of ten. Yeah, I'd give it a seven as well. 
I mean, <laughs> it's a low seven, but yeah, it just it's, about gets there. Uh, again, I feel like I have to explain my scoring a little <laughs> bit because I don't, I don't hate it as much as the score might suggest. You know, there are plenty of bits in it that are funny. I probably, quote I, I think this we're being very generous. I don't think you need yeah. to explain it if it's going to be lower <laughs> than a seven. But, but yeah, it's it's a five for me. Yeah, yeah sorry. They they are of course doing something of a follow up to Jay and Silent Bob. Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Well, it's been announced whether it'll actually film or not is another thing. I think it yeah. is very much Kevin Smith's next project, which doesn't mean yeah, I say in pre production. So. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's one hundred percent going to happen. But I think they're very close to cameras actually rolling on this one. It does seem like it's happening. So, yeah. it, um, have you read the supposed plot? Isn't it something like there's a new superhero movie or some shit? And no, I... essentially, it's Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, but he wants to do it better. There's a, a reboot of, or there's a sequel to the Blunt Man and Chronic film, and they have to stop that from being made. Right. So, it... yeah, but I mean, where, that's that's what it says on the internet, yeah. but that's apparently the plot. What the fuck is the internet? <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. Jason Mewes is funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just just to put my two penneth in, because I'm obviously not going to be here. Um, I, I want to see. Uh, I want to see Jay and Silent Bob growing up. I want to see mm. the teen years where it can actually get away with being like a teen comedy Ooh, prequel. Um, yeah, it's, it's something along that lines. I think it'd work as a TV series, but that's where I would see it going. I want to see Jay and Silent Bob babies, like Baby's Day Out, based on the, <laughs> the like five seconds at the start of this film before they grew up. It's just Baby Jay shouting fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what about Jay and Silent Bob in an old people's home? <laughs> oh my god. I Oh my god. The thing is, so long as Jason Mewes lives long enough, that'll probably happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you mean Jason Mewes lives long enough? What, Kevin Smith? Had a oh, he's lost attack. all the weight now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he's he had a heart attack. That's he why. Looking very, yeah, he's looking very healthy now, though, isn't he? No, he looks, he looks gaunt. <laughs> he looks like a fat man who's lost a load of weight. No, I think he looks very healthy. He's gone vegan, hasn't he? Has he? It's the healthy. Oh, no. he's, he's gone vegan purely because he's like not smart enough to eat a healthy diet Denied. unless he just kind of <laughs> I mean crisps are vegan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's call it a day for this one so that's first act of Kevin Smith we'll be coming back next week where we will be dealing with the sort of second bit of his career the awkward middling attempt at yeah. the Hollywood mainstream yeah, we'll be covering Jersey Girl Clerks to Zakamira Make a Porno and Cop Out, which was very much the sort of knife in his heart. <laughs> I liked Cop Out. Well, I'm saying oh. it now. I liked Cop you Out. You liked Cop Out. And I don't have to defend it because we're not talking oh about it. <laughs> you like Cop Out? Yeah. I, yeah, that's all I'm saying. I'm not going to defend it because I'm going to let you talk about it <laughs> next week. To be honest with you, I am looking forward to watching it again and just seeing what I can get out of it. Because I remember it not being terrible. Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. See you next week. Bye.